WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 266. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guys show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 722 in the Sheraton Hotel, downtown Springfield, Massachusetts. In today's episode, laptop bombs, drone encounters, a Citation One crash in Atlanta, a Peruvian 737 runway excursion, chemtrails, your feedback, and a new old pilot plane tales episode, the second Andy Anderson interviews. Part one. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 266, ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. Uh, it is an aviation podcast. I am a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, and we talk about aviation here. Huh, how about that? Uh, we're mostly focusing on commercial aviation because uh, that's what most of us on the panel do for a living. Uh, but we talk about all kinds of things uh, in the aviation world, and we learn a lot of stuff, too. Um, let's see. Joining me from across the pond, another airline pilot. He is a former fighter pilot, professional photographer, commercial Airline pilot extraordinaire for Acme Red Airlines, Captain Nick Anderson. Well, good evening again, Jeff. Great to be uh, on the show. You're looking good over there in uh, the Simpsons house. They've got you in their spare room in Springfield, I hope. They do. Yep. They're uh, fixing dinner downstairs, and uh, I have a little time here to do the show before uh, I have to go to dinner. Oh, well, as long as we don't get too many... Oh! how are you sir well feeling a little jaded just a wee bit uh uh you know still recovering from a rather long flight home from uh, australia where i was recently out visiting my father so i had a bit of a gap between some flights uh and uh I just about had enough time to uh, leap on board uh, one of our aircraft out to uh, Dubai. And then I picked up an Emirates flight uh, out to Perth. Spent uh, five days, I suppose, including the day I landed, it was six days uh, in Oz. But uh, then I had to give myself a couple of days to get home. Uh, it took me, I worked out it was 40 hours between getting up in Australia, having uh, lunch, spending the afternoon with the old man the last afternoon, and then jumping on an evening flight, 40 hours until I hit my bed in the UK. Oh, man, <laughs> Most better. of which was in the air. <laughs> the rest of it was just hanging around airports. <laughs> better you than me. Gosh, that sounds horrible. It was. It was. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, as, as we're both aware, traveling staff, you uh, you always take uh, whatever's going uh, with regard seats, and it's always very nice if uh, you can get a uh, an upgrade to something uh, that allows you to lie down and rest, or at least have a very comfortable seat. But I'm afraid that was not the case. There was a a lot of demand, a lot of uh, 
very nice fare paying passengers who had occupied all the decent seats, certainly on uh, Acme Red. So I was uh, peeking down the back there, and uh, Emirates were only entitled to economy travel uh, since they're not our airline. So uh, uh, flying out there at a 777, which uh, was a bit coal-fired, you know, the... Uh, the entertainment system was, I think, one of those old screens that they pulled down from the ceiling and had a, had a projector shining <laughs> onto it. And uh, uh-huh. uh, we did they they did they did uh, shadow shadow uh, you know, shows <laughs> shadow puppets yeah <laughs> uh, shadow puppets on that uh, so uh-huh. it's very good. But and the, there was some music or something, but we couldn't hear anything because the engines were so loud and uh, <laughs> rattling. And anyway, the, yeah, the puppets kept falling over because the turbulence was so bad. And, no, seriously, the the triple seven was fine. Emirates, uh, they kit out the cabins very similar in all their aircraft. It was obviously of an earlier generation. Uh, so when I climbed onto a three eighty to do the leg out of Perth back to Dubai with them, uh, you really could tell the difference. Uh, it was nice and shiny, the latest of everything. You know, everything was uh, very neat and uh, beautifully uh, done. The I have to say, I'm I'm not too. Uh, I'm not a great admirer on the outside shape of the 380. I think it looks a little bit like a duck. Yeah, but, um, that's horrible. Like a very large duck. <laughs> but when you're sitting inside, it's it's incredibly roomy, even uh, down the back end. It's very quiet, very comfortable. It seems to ride the bumps. It's got such a lot of mass in the fuselage there. It doesn't seem to get thrown around at all. Rides the bumps very well. Uh, excellent uh, electronics, lovely uh, lighting system. A very pleasant airplane to be on. Excellent. And um, I trust you had a, a nice visit with your uh, father, and I have a feeling we might hear something from that visit on today's show. And uh, yeah, I've got a, got a couple of bits from there. It was lovely to see him again. Uh, my father uh, retired from the airline industry when he was 60, and he's now 94. So uh, 34 years ago, he retired. He didn't stop working. He carried on. Uh, he uh, ran a very successful restaurant in, uh, uh, owned and ran in uh, a successful restaurant in a place called Margaret River, lovely wine-growing district in the uh, in this about four hours drive south of Perth, uh, and he ran then ran a, ran an avocado farm, uh, and then eventually he retired. and He's got a lovely place uh, in the city. And while I was there, I I uh, met some uh, fine people, uh, and we're going to have a little chat with uh, or listen to our chat with them later. But I gather you uh, had had a couple of meetups uh, since the last show. Yeah, I did. Um... Yeah, it's been a very busy, well, first of all, it's been a while since we actually did a live recording because I got a little bit busy with my own personal schedule, including some uh, training that I had to do. You know, we heard about your recurrent training pretty recently, um, and uh, you did a wonderful Plain Tales episode on uh, some of the stuff that you encountered in your experience, and I had the pleasure of being in the uh, box, as we call it, uh, this past weekend. And uh, so I was kind of busy with that. And I thought, you know what? I could record a show, but I really should be uh, focusing on studying for my recurrent training. So that's what I did. And um, in the meantime, though, I managed to uh, fit in some meetups with some of the APG community, starting with uh, Devin, the Herc driver, 
Um, and I have some audio from that meetup, so let me play that. Well, I'm here in Atlanta at the Pig and the Pint. I've been here before. We've had meetups here before. And I'm on another meetup. This was a one-on-one meetup with somebody that I think that you might recognize when uh, you hear his voice. So let me uh, hand the mic over to this mystery person. Hey, it's uh, Devin the Herc Driver here. Um, just came in. Uh, as many of you probably know, maybe some of you don't, I also fly for uh, regional um, Acme Junior, I guess we can just say for today. Hadn't really thought that one through in advance. And, uh, yeah, day two of a five-day, uh, actually a four-day, but the last day we're getting in so late they got to deadhead me home because uh, flying with a crew that's actually based at a different base. So, uh, let's see, yesterday we went uh, Chicago, Dayton, Dayton, Chicago, and then down to Houston. And then today we did uh, – oh, now I've forgotten – Somewhere to Houston and then Houston. Or so we didn't spend the night at Houston. We sp- Oh, yeah, that's right. We spent the night in Louisville. And then this morning we did Louisville, Houston, and then it all runs together. And then Houston to uh, Atlanta. And uh, coming into Atlanta, I thought, oh, I hit up Captain Jeff, see if he wants to get together. Kind of got a hold of him last minute. And uh, so here we sit. Um, let's see. Interesting, I guess, this morning we had the on the flight down to Houston. We had a, uh, my control head on for my radio failed. So that was interesting. Had to uh, switch aircraft control give it over to the captain uh or he had to give it to me so i could fly it because i was unable all of a sudden just everything went silent he had to take the radios uh talked atc and then we troubleshot it realized it couldn't be fixed had to unplug and plug into the jump seat radio head so i could hear but i couldn't talk and then once we're on the ground only the he has the steering tiller of course so i had to slide my seat all the way back and like monkey arming around behind me to keep the mic to talk it was it was quite funny so uh but at any rate uh yeah just met up here with captain jeff had uh dinner here at uh what did we say this place the pig and the pint and uh yeah just been talking aviation have a good time so very grateful to him for having me and uh just wanted to tell everybody hello awesome we had a great time great conversation we, uh, we share a lot of the same feelings and opinions about things, uh, automation, electronic devices, uh, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, we, re- we really uh, – great time. I- I'm so glad that uh, I had a chance to meet with Devin personally, and uh, I hope it, uh, to get a chance to do it again in the future. So um, thanks, Devin, for uh, meeting up with me and uh, sharing a meal. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you, and uh, just also wanted to tell Captain Nick, since he's not here to defend himself, that uh, Boeing's got Airbus beat for sure. So, anyway. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. That was, that was Devin, not me. <laughs> okay. Take care. All right, so uh, we had a great time, uh, great talk. Yeah, it was uh, nice to meet you, Devin, in person, and hope to have the chance to do it again in the future. So. Uh, that was a Friday, and uh, the next day, I went down to the Atlanta International Airport to meet up with somebody that you, or many of you who listen to the show, uh, know who this is, Captain Al and his family. Uh, his wife and his uh, son, Josh, were um, together. Uh, they were heading down to Orlando, Florida, and uh, they couldn't make the nonstop flight from Manchester to Orlando, so they went through Atlanta and when I heard that they were going to be stopping through Atlanta, I thought, ah, I should head down there and say hello. So hung out with them for a little while. They uh, missed their first try from Atlanta to Orlando, but they made the next flight. And uh, so just kind of kept them company 
uh, ate some chicken nuggets with uh, Captain Al and um, weren't actually there long enough for us to go find a bar and have a drink or two. So um, they they finally made it down to Orlando and I think they've been there now for about a week and so they're on week two right now. I'm sure they're exhausted, but I'm sure they're having fun as well. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. And then um, let's see. The last trip I was on, I was going in and out of uh, LaGuardia on the 90. By the way, here's a funny anecdote, I think. You know, the whole point of us not flying the 88 into uh, LaGuardia Airport is because of navigational systems on the 88 that aren't up to snuff for uh, flying into and out of LaGuardia. So, but we're still flying the 90. And it's supposed to be the MD-90s with the GPS systems. But every single flight I flew into LaGuardia uh, on that last trip last week, uh, so in and out one, two, three separate times on MD-90s, but they were the MD-90s that don't have the GPS systems on it. They have the non-GPS <laughs> navigation Classic system. And I went, what? How ironic. <laughs> that, yeah, absolutely. Why are, we, why, are we, why are we not flying the 88s in there? I don't know. So without all this navigation equipment, how did you find the I don't know. It's a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) And the weather was absolutely, the first two times, the first two days, the weather was just absolutely horrible, right at minimums and low visibilities, and it just, uh, ugh, yuck. But uh, the third day, finally, it it seemed to uh, clear out, and it was nice. But um, anyway, on one of those days, I think it was the the first day of that three-day trip uh, when I was making my way through LaGuardia, I... uh, well, here, I, I have another little piece of audio feedback. So I'm walking through uh, LaGuardia. It's uh, Monday, first day of my three-day trip, uh, the 27th of, oh, what month is this? March. And uh, I hear somebody go, Captain Jeff? Uh, what? Turn around? And here's this guy named Scott Carlson. And he said, uh, hey, I listened to your show, and, well, I'll, I'll let you tell them. Absolutely. I uh, was just walking through LaGuardia here and uh, was following the uh, the trail of people. I noticed there was like a mob of people surrounded <laughs> this guy. I didn't yeah. know who he was. So right. so I said, who is that? Oh, he's it's, lying. It's Captain Jeff. So I uh, thought I'd flag him down. And it turns out uh, the coffee fund is a real thing. I'm drinking it right now. It's delicious. Thanks, sir. And uh, hopefully that's uh, that's my flight home right now. So hopefully I'll be able to get on it. Yeah, uh, he, he uh, had an, uh, uh, an amazing tale about uh, him trying to get home from St. Louis to Raleigh. Raleigh, Durham, but where did you go now? Cleveland, and then, uh, let's see where all did it, LaGuardia, Raleigh, uh, was just about to bust it over to Newark if I don't get on this one. Oh, so. man. Wow. Well, I, I guess I should let you go, because uh, hopefully you'll be, you'll be on this uh, flight, and uh, Scott, pleasure meeting you. You as well, sir. All right. See you next time. Yeah, you know what, in Listening to myself go, uh, 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 kind of reminds me of this. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain, Glenn Quagmire. Uh, we're looking about a four and a half hour flight time today. Uh, we've got clear skies, good visibility. The temperature in Atlanta is 64 degrees. Uh, the flight's going to be a little longer than we've expected. Uh, we've got some very strong headwinds, giggity. Uh, flight attendants, please prepare for takeoff. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the giggity. <laughs> giggity. <laughs> hey, Love well, it. so I have all these uh, pieces of audio feedback from little impromptu meetups and, and planned meetups. Uh, too bad you don't have any uh, 
audio uh, on a meetup that you had. And wait a minute. Oh, wait. You do have one. Yeah. Oh, I snuck one in, Jeff. Okay, you did. Well, that's what she The actress to the bishop. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, let's, Let's listen. Now, wait a minute. You notice how nicely produced his feedback, <laughs> audio feedback, and audio uh, interviews and meetup audio and all that is? That's just uh, not yeah. fair. No, it's not. I get too much time on my hands. <laughs> okay, PGS, I'm sitting here in Perth, Western Australia, and we're in the Royal Aero Club, which is at Jandicott Airport. I'll start off by uh, introducing Brent. Now, Brent's one of our listeners in WA. He got in touch with me um, just uh, a few days ago. He heard I was in town when he listened to uh, the last show. I think it was APG 265. So uh, we have managed to get together and we're sitting here. And today is the Old Flyers group here at Jandicott, which is an ideal opportunity. Uh, My father, Andy Anderson, comes along uh, every month and they have a talk from uh, some aviation-minded person. And uh, the place is uh, usually pretty packed. Uh, so it seemed an ideal opportunity to have lunch with uh, Brent, get to know him, and uh, find out a little bit about why he listens to the show. Now, before I let him speak, I'm going to introduce him. Uh, Brent is uh, an amazing bloke. He uh, trained at Juilliard in New York, and he is a great musician. He plays uh, principal trumpet for the Western Australian Symphony Orchestra. And indeed, he invited me to a concert they're going to be having next week where they're going to be playing a kind of a proms. It's British music, including the wonderful uh, Jerusalem. Unfortunately, I won't be around to uh, listen to that. It would have been great to hear him play, but I'm heading home uh, tomorrow. So it was a wonderful opportunity, however, to meet Brent and find out why he listened to the show and uh, to hear a little about, about his interest in aviation. So with that introduction, Brent, tell us all about yourself. Well, firstly, thanks so much for inviting me along. It's just an absolute pleasure to meet you. I'd heard that Captain Nick was tall from the podcast, but to actually meet him in person, I can see why you fly the A340-600 because you needed that fuselage length just for your legroom in the cockpit. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the APG show. I My day job is an orchestral musician, but I like to live vicariously through um, the APG crew and listening to all your stories about aviation. And uh, it just, it's a, I wouldn't say a hobby, it's a bit of a, a passion that I, you know, fill in the time with whenever I get a bit of spare time. It's a great source of enjoyment for me. Um, and I just want to thank Captain Nick, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Dana, everyone um, for the fantastic podcast because it's really something I look forward to every week and um, it's just great to meet you, Captain Nick. Wow, that's marvellous. Thanks so much. Now, I know you're a bit of a flight simmer, so uh, we don't look down on flight simmers in the APG because a lot of our listeners uh, have a great interest uh, in having a go at doing it themselves and I know flight simulation programs are about as close as you can get to the real thing without physically climbing into an airplane. So tell us a little about what you do there. Yeah, sure. So 
the closest I can get to an aeroplane is obviously on my computer. Um, the reason being, I would love to get my pilot's license, but I have two young children and um, having children is a bit expensive these days. So um, my spare funds goes on um, school fees and piano lessons and all those very, very important things. But I do love getting in, um, getting onto the computer and um, my plane of choice is the Cessna 172. I love just hand flying and getting used to it and getting a feel for what it is and one day I hope to get a few lessons and um, actually learn what it is that I'm doing. Well I'm sure you will Brent, I'm sure you will. Now I'm just going to introduce uh, my father who's sitting here beside me and uh, you'll be hearing his dulcet tones in a few of the plain tales uh, I've recorded while I've been over here and I've managed to get uh, dad to expand on his time when he was flying Sunderlands and give us a lot more uh, detail about his work during the war doing convoy patrol but uh, he's here at Chandicott he's going to listen to today's lecture uh, can you remember what today's lecture is about Pop? About um, drones yeah well we're, we're, cue, cue the music Jeff we're always interested in uh, drones whether they're good or bad for aviation but uh, it would be uh, marvellous if you could just uh, tell us uh, a couple of things about uh, um, aviation that brings you to this um, talk each month Pop um, yes I was introduced to the old Flyers Club some years back and uh uh, it, it was, well, it was quite a popular place then, but now even even in the last couple of years it's grown and grown. The club or the group is uh, recorded on uh, I, YouTube, is it? I, YouTube. YouTube, and it's under the title of Old Flyers Group. They now have something like 200 lectures for you to choose from, all about aviation. And to join this uh, Old Flyers group, the conditions are if you have any interest in aviation. So we have everything from aircraft mechanics to traffic officers to meteorologists <laughs> so it's a wonderful mix and uh, all the lectures that they they dig up are always increasingly um, interesting that's great so if you live in uh, western australia and you can get to perth uh once a month, any particular time of the month they have Last it, Pop? Last Friday of every month. Last Friday of every month, Saturday and it costs you a whole 15 bucks, and that includes lunch, so it's a great deal, and if you're interested in talking to like-minded people, this is the place to come. Now, I'm just going to ask Brent to uh, wind up with a, a final couple of words. Uh, just uh, thanks for inviting me, and uh, really enjoy the podcast, so thanks, Captain Jeff. Excellent. We all thank Captain Jeff, that's for sure. Okay, I'll sign off and uh, wish you all well and catch you on the next show. Awesome. You know what was the best part of that? Listening to your dad and him chuckle a little bit, a little bit of a laugh, and I thought, ah, that is you. <laughs> I heard your uh, your laugh there. It's just a... Oh, dear. Well, it's in the genes, obviously. Yeah. I must stop wearing my father's jeans. Um, <laughs> he is uh, so must, sharp uh, for being, how old is he? 94, 95? 94. Wow. 94. He, he, it turns out, I thought he was born in 921. Turns out he was born in 922. Oh. So he's lost a year. <laughs> he's a youngster. Well, 
I blast, yeah. I must thank Brent, uh, particularly. He came along with a couple of gifts, which were really nice of him. Some uh, little dove um, pale ale, uh, a local brew to him, um, near a brewery called Little Creatures, uh, and uh, it's very nice indeed. Uh, so I, I drank that in Australia, and it was brilliant. But he also gave me uh, this, which is a book, and... Um, it says uh, Jaeger, and it's General Chuck Jaeger and uh, Leo Janus uh, have written a book about uh, uh, Jaeger's um, life, Chuck Jaeger. So uh, I- I'm going to obviously read that. I- I've read one of uh, a book about his life already. This will be my second. I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for that, uh, Brent. Very kind of you. I'm sure I can get a plain tale or two out of that, which was absolutely fabulous. And one final thing, I was amazed to uh, hear that Evan Shu, one of, another of our listeners from Australia, used to play with Brent in his uh, earlier years when they were both in an army band together. So I went, wow. And not only that, my father mentioned the name of uh, one of my um, distant relations. I think she's probably a second or third cousin, um, and uh, asked if uh, he knew her. And it turned out that uh, Brenton, she who she's a flute player, uh, had actually been playing uh, in the pit of uh, Les Miserables only a few months earlier. So I went. Damn, that's a small world. That's absolutely <laughs> incredible, isn't it? So uh, brilliant. Um, anyway, uh, Brent turned out to be a wonderful guy. Absolute pleasure to meet him, and uh, thanks very much. Well, we trumpet gift. players are, you know, just amazing. Something special. Wonderful people. Um, yes. That. So that that book that he gave you, uh, Jaeger, did you know that just a little trivia, Jaeger Meister was named for him, I think? Um, that I didn't know that. No. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's not right. It's not spelled the same. (laughs) I'm sure they've had a slightly better tasting uh, liqueur in that case. (laughs) Oh, and one final thing while we're talking about that sort of thing. Uh, I got this through the the mail just the other day. So thank you very much indeed, uh, Marcus. He started sending uh, postcards out to the people who contribute to his podcast, Over Guitar. So Marcus... uh, sent me one thanking me for the that first introduction I did to p- podcasting, which has dragged me all the way to the height, dizzy heights of the APG. <laughs> Dizzying uh, heights. When, yes. <laughs> yeah, when I spoke on the Omega Tower podcast, which was, of course, great well, you fun, know, but quite a while ago now. Marcus is upping his standards. Up yours. Oh, really? <laughs> no more no more random uh f4 pilots then i don't, I don't blame no him. no no i think that's what put him on the map i'm sure <laughs> the podcast i'm not map. sure which map that's an underground map <laughs> well we're so glad that you're back safe and sound and uh hopefully you'll get well i guess you're not going to really get much of a chance to catch up because you're leaving on a trip uh tomorrow is that right or wednesday day, day after i've still got tomorrow i'm going to try and uh uh, relax a bit tomorrow. I'm on uh, a New York uh, on Wednesday. I'm going to try and perhaps meet up with David Abbey uh, in Garden City, uh, but we don't get into quite late and uh, whether David has the time, because I probably won't get in the bar till 10 o'clock at night, which is a bit late for a meetup. So it's not on a, a formal meetup, it's just to get together a few beers. But uh, a little later on in the month, on the Monday, the 10th, uh, much more likely to be able to organize a meetup uh, in Manhattan. 
I know uh, Radio Roger, uh, another one of listeners who I have met there before. Um, a very pleasant, very nice guy. Thoroughly enjoyed um, his uh, dulcet tones on uh, the microphone when uh, when we recorded our little piece there. But uh, hoping to get perhaps to get together with him again. So that's Monday the tenth, and it'll be in a bar somewhere near uh, the New Yorker Hotel, which is where we stay in uh, Manhattan when we're there. Monday the tenth of May. Or April. Uh, this month. Oh, this month. April. Uh, let me yeah, look at my schedule. Um, yeah, I'm flying on a darn trip. Darn it. I want to meet Roger. Darn. By the way, his <laughs> dulcet tones uh, is an understatement. We'll hear uh, some audio feedback from Roger um, Excellent. later in this episode. So I look forward to uh, meeting him sometime. He uh, definitely sounds like a radio guy, which is so Oh, cool. he is. In very pleasant chat. Yeah. Okay. Um Let's move on, unless there's something else you want to add in before we start doing our coffee fun stuff. I don't think so, sir. All right, let's do it. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Yabba community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. All right, that's the Ink Spots singing the Java Jive, recorded in 1940. And we're going to talk about the Coffee Fund, which is your way to contribute to the show in a financial way. Or a financial way, I should say. Um, if you're interested in doing so, if you have the financial resources to do so, please check out airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee and there you'll find a couple of different methods that we have for you to contribute uh, the first uh, the one we've had the longest is the coffee fund classic method and since the last episode Steve Trumbull a recurring donor uh, sent us another donation thank you Steve and Bastian Vagisgraf I probably just completely annihilated his name but uh Anyway, they both uh, used the Coffee Fund Coffee Fund Classic method to contribute to the show. Thank you very much for that. And we also have the other way, which is Patreon.com. You can become a patron of the show. And since the last episode, we've had two new, actually three. Steve and Rosie Rowe uh, are new producers, and uh, as is Lance Routson, a new producer as well. So we welcome them to the patrons over at patreon if you want to find out how you can participate again head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee stand by for news All right. Uh, last episode, we were talking about that new rule established by both the United States and United Kingdom regarding restrictions on certain flights originating from certain cities in the world 
and the requirement for the laptops to be uh, or anything bigger than a smartphone, basically a tablet or smart or uh, uh, laptop, uh, be st stowed underneath in the uh, cargo compartment and not in the uh, airplane cabin. And uh, just a little bit of an update on that. A lot of a lot of discussion about that because a lot of people were uh, scratching their heads about uh, the. Uh, uh, if it made a lot of sense to do this and you know we were kind of discussing it on our show as well as uh, other aviation podcasts uh, i hear them talking about the same thing and trying to figure out what is going on here and if it really made any sense at all um, and we had mentioned on the last show that uh, there was some piece of uh, intelligence that uh, thought that the perpetrators or potential terrorists uh, could possibly put several of these devices together once uh, they were on board an airplane and then come up with some kind of a device that would uh, do a bunch of damage. But each individual laptop or component thereof uh, would uh, have such a small piece of, uh, of uh, bomb making stuff in it uh, that it wouldn't uh, be uh, something that the security people would notice. So... Anyway, let me read a little bit of this. This is from CNN. U.S. intelligence and law enforcement agencies believe that ISIS and other terrorist organizations have developed innovative ways to plant explosives in electronic devices that FBI testing shows can evade some commonly used airport security screening methods. Heightening the concern is U.S. intelligence uh, suggesting that terrorists have obtained sophisticated airport security equipment to test how to effectively conceal explosives in laptops and other electronic devices. This intelligence gathered in the last several months played a significant role in the Trump administration's decision to prohibit travelers flying out of 10 airports in eight countries in the Middle East and Africa from carrying laptops and large electronic devices. Uh, and I believe that um, intelligence was gathered from the, uh, the raid in Yemen uh, that occurred uh, about a month ago or a little bit longer. Uh, they, they uncovered some of this... Um, this intelligence. So, um, yeah, uh, that, that's a frightening thing that they were able to get some of the security gear that, uh, TSA and other security agencies use to screen passengers. And, uh, so they're trying all kinds of things to, uh, uh yeah, to you, you think through. that that sort of equipment would have the same sort of sales monitoring as missile guidance systems, or perhaps not that much but certainly you think uh, any company manufacturing that would be able to or would have to have a, every sale checked to confirm it's legitimate and uh, also that people they sell it to would be obliged to either return to the manufacturer or give proof of its destruction if they no longer needed it you can't have that kind of stuff just drifting around the world otherwise it completely negates the whole purpose of being able to test um, mind you, uh, you know, they're going to uh, they're going to have to put an awful lot of effort and sophistication into developing bombs if they're going to try and get through uh, the good levels of security we have, generally speaking. And um, traditionally, terrorists tend to go for soft targets. Uh, now, I know attacking an airliner is a very high profile and gets around the world, but so is mowing down a bunch of people. Who are just standing in the street at a at a Christmas fair or whatever. So uh, I'm not quite sure uh, if you know the, it's worth their effort to 
try to defeat the um, the sophistication of the security that we have at airports, whether it's just easier to get people to hijack cars and uh, you know, create atrocities that way. Yeah, I agree. It uh, doesn't seem like the return on investment, if you'll pardon uh, the term, uh, is worth... No, no, no I, I know exactly what you're getting at, Jeff. Then that's exactly right. I hardly think it's it's worth their effort. There are bound to be easier ways to attack if, if they're determined to. Yeah. But they seem to have a bit of a hang-up about aircraft. Perhaps they don't like the noise or the chemtrails or something. <laughs> Could be. I think it has to do with the carbon footprint. Uh, yeah, and, exactly uh, right. And, of course, if but you I know, mean, uh, one of the uh, airports that um, I just flew through, Dubai, is one that is on the U.S. banned list. Uh, it's not on the U.K. banned list, so I could take my laptop quite happily on to uh, the aircraft I flew to London on. Uh, but uh, I was uh, very impressed with the level of security going uh, through that airport. Um, so uh, uh, I'm, I'm not, I mean, Dubai is an incredibly sophisticated airport. And uh, it, it does have, it's not like a lot of airports where, you know, the, you see people asleep at the scanners and <laughs> whatever. Um, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty clued up, pretty switched on. So I was uh, quite surprised to see that that, aircraft, that airport was on the list. Obviously, we don't have access to the intelligence itself, so we can't work no. out whether that decision is justified or not. But uh, um, certainly, so, um, they seem to be making an extra effort right now um, I suspect perhaps because they're under the spotlight or they realize that they might be, they might be being targeted. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but it was good. It was very good security at Dubai. Well, speaking of the Middle Eastern airports uh, and the Middle Eastern airlines, Emirates is introducing a laptop and tablet handling service um, with the service. Emirates is attempting to minimize the inconvenience to flyers affected by the new U S directive. Um, and uh, they're, Service will be offered for free to customer, customers traveling to the U.S. from Dubai, allowing them to use their laptops and tablets until just before boarding. Prior to boarding, customers will be required to declare and hand over their laptops, tablets, and other banned electronic devices to security staff as they go through gateside screening in Dubai. Emirates says the devices will be carefully packed into boxes, loaded, loaded into the aircraft hold, and returned to the customer at their U.S. destination. So it looks like they're coming up with ways to minimize the inconvenience uh, due to this new ban. For sure. And at Dubai, Dubai, I noticed from their paperwork that they're also offering a service to provide replacement laptops for the duration of the flight. So when you get on board, you can take one of the Emirates laptops and use that uh, to continue working. I guess you wouldn't have access to all your data and not necessarily all your programs, but uh, certainly they, they're trying to make amends or, or, or to lessen the inconvenience of their business passengers because that's going to be a major hit for them. Now, I, they, I know they're, go ahead. Yeah. No, I just go. They, they do provide a lot of business travel into the States. So it's going to be a real inconvenience for a lot of their businessmen who uh, need to work with her on the aircraft. So I would imagine that they have probably a pretty robust um, internet service available in all these airplanes, um, flights 
from the Middle East uh, to the U.S.? Yes, I believe so. I I, I was using the uh, I was watching movies rather than trying to get on the internet. But yeah, uh, certainly they uh, they have a system that uh, that works pretty well. Satellite internet. Yeah. So more and more people are you know using cloud based services and storing a lot of their files and such uh, via via the cloud. And so um, I'm thinking, you know, this actually might be a, even if, because I was, at first I heard this and I thought, well, okay, you're giving me a laptop, but it doesn't have any of my stuff on it. You know, my, yeah. my files, my, uh, uh, my applications, et cetera. But uh, sounds to me though, if you're using an application that's commonly used by many business people, they're going to probably have that installed on the machine. And then if you can access your files through the cloud, um, you might be good to go. So actually this, Kind of sounds brilliant. Yeah. I was also reading from this article, uh, Jeff, and something I, I I learned that was new was that the bomb that that uh, bloke let off um, a few months ago. I'm trying to remember what flight it was, but I haven't got that piece of information immediately. Um, but anyway, this is the uh, gent that was climbing up through about ten fifteen thousand feet, and he uh, let off a suicide bomb, which was packed into a laptop. Yeah, it was Turned a Somali that, airline, I think. Yeah, I've just found it operating from uh, Al-Shabaab, uh, an Al-Qaeda affiliate in Somalia. Mm -hmm. Detonated a laptop bomb on uh, uh, Dalo. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Dalo <laughs> Airlines. <laughs> Sounds yeah. good to me. So it was a flight from Mogadishu to uh, Dibuti. And uh, the explosives were hidden uh, in place of the dvd drive so the laptop probably would have worked completely conventionally unless you try to put a dvd in there in which case that space had been had been hollowed out and occupied by and they managed to put explosive in there instead mm -hmm. so um you know just turning on your laptop and proving this it fires up is not necessarily going to convince people that no. uh it's safe um so I, you know, they're going to have to find some very sophisticated, way, sophisticated ways. I mean, there are some reasonably sophisticated systems out there to detect them anyway. Mm -hmm. But they're going to have to try and up that, that's for sure. Yeah, I hope they're on top of this. Uh, I hope that there's more stuff going on that we just don't know anything about as far as defeating the uh, possibility of terrorism again in the skies. Absolutely. Um, well, this is kind of a terror-filled um flight uh, for, well, at least the air crew, maybe not terror filled, but it was kind of a sad, uh, a sad happening. Uh, an American Airlines Boeing 737-800 was flying from Dallas-Fort Worth to Albuquerque. They were on final approach to runway four, already in contact with the control tower. When the captain called tower reporting they had got and they had an issue with one of the pilots, they were declaring an emergency and requested medical crews meet the aircraft at the gate. The aircraft continued for a safe landing. About two minutes later, taxied to the gate. Emergency services performed cardiopulmonary resuscitation for about 35 to 40 minutes, but were unable to save the first officer's life. He was uh, 58 years old, which is my age right now. Um, so uh, ah, that must have been an awful thing to see somebody you know, sitting next to you in the cockpit uh, go through a heart attack and, and die. Um, but... Um, of course, it, it's a sensational thing for all the media outlets because they think that there's no way that we could possibly 
you know, fly an airplane, just one of us, you know, we have to have two of us up there because otherwise you can't safely fly an airplane. And then, of course, these same journalists are the ones that say, but it won't be long before we have airplanes that don't have any pilots at all. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, I don't get this. Yeah. Anyway, um, so our uh, thoughts and prayers go uh, out to the uh, family and friends of uh, this uh, gentleman who lost his life last week. Certainly is. Um, I wonder whether the American Airlines 737 fleet have defibs on board. Do you know? I'm sure they do. they, They would have to. I'm wondering if it was just like two... Like they were on final, and they thought, okay, we got to get this thing on the ground and get them, get them to the gate as quickly as possible. Um, sounds like they were on kind of on short final, uh, just a couple mile or a couple minutes out. Oh sure, and of course, not every heart attack is you can resuscitate someone. That's from true there. too. There are plenty of types of heart attack that it doesn't make any difference what you do. You, you yeah, just breathe your last, don't you? And I'm sorry we mentioned this because I just realized that uh, you you have gone through kind of a traumatic. A situation not that long ago when one of your neighbors uh, died of a heart attack. Well, that's right. That's why we all want to know our CPR and how to deliver it. But I'm afraid even the hardest of uh, efforts, the greatest of efforts, uh, doesn't always uh, come out with a good uh, finish, I'm afraid. Sadly, yeah. Um, another 737 incident. This uh, one happening happening in Peru. Uh, it was yeah, a flight. another Boeing, is it? How yeah, it was Boeing? another Boeing. <laughs> yeah, another Boeing. Okay. An older, an older Boeing, Lima to uh, Georgia. I'm not sure. Not Georgia, but J A U J A. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Somewhere in Peru. Uh, let's see. They were. Uh, they landed on that place's runway three one at about uh, four forty local time but veered off the runway and suffered the collapse of all gear and burst into flames, coming to a stop after skidding on fire for some distance. The aircraft was evacuated. Um, there's some good video. Uh, this is the, uh, let's see, what is it? Uh, the uh, Aviation Herald and uh, some good uh, video links here and, and pictures of the incident and um, one of them is from a passenger uh, se- seated in the airplane on the left side, the captain's side, uh, near the window. And you can kind of hear the sounds that the airplane is making coming in. And it sounds like a regular landing to me um, until like maybe a second after they touch down. And then all of a sudden there's this kind of a loud noise. Uh, the, I guess now we know the noise of the uh, one of the main landing gear collapsing or or uh, suffering a something terrible and uh, then that caused the airplane to veer veer off the runway but they say that nobody was injured obviously nobody killed either so i guess if you classify landings on uh, if you can walk away from it it was a good landing um not sure if you can use the airplane again though um, we'll have to get back with you on that one whether we can classify it a great landing but, uh, no, certainly. They they said that uh, that there were a lot of similarities to the uh, Comair seven thirty seven four hundred at Johannesburg, and I took a look at that, and they were talking there about um, the uh, gear, um, you know, vibrating heavily and doing uh, 
uh, what do they call it when uh, the gear like a shimmy oscillates a shimmy yeah because yeah, we have anti shimmy dampers and, yeah now uh, there, there was a there was a lot in this report which really confused me because they're talking about if you do a too smooth a landing on the 737 which re- which might happen if you uh, uh, spend too long in ground effect floating down the runway at reasonably high speed and then touch down there's a chance that the gear can shimmy uh, until it <laughs> to destruction. And I went, this, is it's that a good true, design? I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I've yeah, never heard of that. <laughs> well, uh, you, we, we, if you get a chance to put the link to the uh, Johannesburg incident, I'd love a 737 if uh, the other captain, Jeff, yeah. if, uh, uh, and can tell me. Because that uh, South African one, uh, the guy touched down at 167 knots when uh, his V-Ref was something like 140. Um, and, and the description was that uh, that holding off can have a ne- negative impact on landing gear shimmy effectiveness. And according to Boeing, the low sink rate during landing touchdown increases the likelihood of shimmy damper failure. Uh, and due to the geometry of the torsion links, shimmy damper damping will be less effective during a prolonged touchdown roll with the main gear strut in an extended position. I thought that sounds like a very dodgy bit of, you know, uh, uh, design. I mean, who's to say that you can't, couldn't do that quite regularly, float the airplane and touch down gently? Do you have to bang it on every time on a Boeing? It might well, explain it why Boeing's had such hard landings. <laughs> it gives us a, a great excuse now. Well, we have to do it that way. Otherwise, we're going to be in an accident. <laughs> exactly right. So uh, so if uh, the other Captain Jeff can possibly send in some feedback uh, explaining why you have to thump a Boeing in, I'd love to hear all about that. <laughs> Nevtech says, uh, Nev says the landing gear shimmy is a popular dance at the local aviation a- aviation social club. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's interesting. I I didn't uh, I didn't do the cross reference to that uh, particular incident and uh, didn't make the connection with the uh, the shimmy damper problem. That's crazy. Huh. Absolutely. Yeah, Jeff, Thank get you. back to us on that one. Uh, you're, you're an expert explanation of this yes please this next one uh, occurred in not too far from where i live actually uh, very close to where i used to live in on the north side of atlanta um, outside of marietta georgia um, it was a, a cessna 500 citation one sierra eagle um, a private a small private jet made by cessna and had been it had been converted to uh, single pilot ops and this uh, gentleman was flying from Cincinnati, Ohio, to Marietta, Georgia. I'm not sure what his actual destination was supposed to be, but anyway, um, he was. Uh, uh, no, he was heading to uh, Fulton County Airport. And uh, as he was passing by the Cobb County Airport, uh, he was complaining about some problems with controllability and uh, problems with his autopilot, and. Uh, he lost control of the airplane and crashed. Um, I think he was 78 years old, um, a business owner. Um, let's see. I got a little bit of uh, ATC audio from this. Number eight, Delta X-ray, left. Number four, six, five, five, four thousand five hundred. 
I won't play the whole thing, but um, basically uh, the last radar position on him uh, and altitude was, uh, I think, at 4,100 feet. And she wanted to make sure that this other airplane that she's talking to was above that altitude so that there was no uh, collision. And then later in the audio, she asks uh, the the guy to uh, look toward the uh, east and northeast of uh, the McCollum Airport there to see if he could see if uh, any airplane had crashed. And he said, yes, I see there is a, a place on the ground in a fire. Um, and uh, the, he was killed. Uh, luckily, nobody on the ground. The uh, house that he actually crashed into um, was not occupied because the hus- husband and wife were uh, at church on uh, that Wednesday night. And uh, so uh, fortunately for them, they weren't involved in this uh, accident. But the thing that really kind of, you know, made me think about this whole thing was like, okay, if he's having an autopilot problem, I'm wondering if it was more than just the autopilot. I mean, if he, you know, if you have a tr- trouble with the autopilot, then turn it off, fly the airplane, um, and, uh, you know, maintain control of it. But uh, it sounds like there might, might be more to this than just autopilot problems or navigation problems. But uh, I don't know. Hopefully we'll learn more from a a future report on this. Apparently the last ADS data point had him at 55 knots in a descent 3,000 feet. Now, that's pretty slow. The guys, if he was genuinely at that speed, he would have stalled the aircraft. But 3,000 feet, it it might well be enough height or would usually be enough height to recover from a a stall. You you Mm -hmm. know, it's pretty close to the ground. I don't know how high the ground was there. But... uh, uh, I'm thinking, you know, uh, he must have control of the aircraft to be that slow yeah. and still not be able to recover. Sounds like he just maybe got distracted or something. I don't know. Um, whatever problem well, he was having and lost, you know, uh, focus on the, his his speed. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, well, all that's always the first thing you do. Fly the bloody airplane. Yep. Aviate, and, navigate, communicate. Exactly. Um, all right. So if we hear more about that accident, we'll let you know. But that was just kind of a, kind of close to where I live and I uh, thought I'd mention it on the show. Um, let's see. Nice looking airplane. Twin engine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Witness. Yeah. It's yeah. a good, uh, good looking uh, airplane. It's been a, a, it's been around for quite some time. Very reliable airplane. So, uh, anyway, um, next piece of news, uh, has something to do with drones and vacuum cleaners, hair dryers. <laughs> um, actually, not the vacuum cleaner and hair dryer part, but uh, looks like another near miss um, uh, near Heathrow. Um, passenger jet in near miss with large drone at 10,000 feet on Heathrow approach. Uh, they spotted the gadget. The two pilots were left stunned. 
Um, they spotted the gadget, which had multiple arms and up to eight rotors on the approach to Heathrow Airport in West London, the UK uh, Airprox board said. They both exclaimed, was that a drone at 10,000 feet? There was no time to react as they watched the flying object for around five seconds as it passed down the right side of the plane, according to the report. Um, let's see. I'm not sure exactly when this happened, though. Oh, It was back in November the 11th. I think we might have mentioned it. Oh, did we? Okay. Looking at the date, I think it was the one that was reported at flight level 95. Oh, in the, okay. uh, one of the holding patterns yeah. just south of uh, Heathrow. But uh, this looks like the, the board has finally come up with the, um, the assessment, which uh, seems to state that uh, um, it was considered... Uh, oh, I had it here a second ago. <laughs> yeah. Lost the assessment. It said it was the second most serious category of risk. Apparently, okay. um, yeah. Apparently, well, was just... you know, we all know that you're not supposed to fly drones higher than 400 feet or near airports or airfields. But uh, apparently, a lot of people either don't know that or they don't care, or both. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it was under the category that safety was not assured. No, <laughs> definitely. Okay. But you know, luckily they they didn't hit it, and uh, so. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I was busy flying my drone today. Oh, were you? That's right. How was yeah, that going? I was having fun. It was good. It flies very well. Dogs don't think much of it, though. They spend most of their time hiding behind me. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, they, uh, they, it's good. It's very good. And, of course, because it uses a GoPro, it's got great uh, camera. I'm, I'm practicing for when I can uh, film um, the London Control Tower. I think that would be a really nice thing to film. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, get yeah. get up and close, uh, right, right there uh, next to the glass yeah. of the control tower. Glass, look at inside. I should be able to see some of the, uh, <laughs> my Twitter mates in there busy working away. So that'll be good. I, I'm looking forward to doing that. I think that they would really appreciate that. That would be uh, that would be a lot. Of fun. <laughs> yes, so do I. <laughs> hey, I see somebody. Doctor. Doctor. Looks like a doctor. 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 And. Oh, good. I need one of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, a physiatrist, to be exact. Uh, an IPA connoisseur, uh, a skydiver extraordinaire, so many things. Marathon runner and just general all-around great person, Dr. Steph. She's joined us. And uh, she's speechless, apparently. Yeah, all she needs to do is turn the microphone on and everything will be fine. That's okay. Well, we'll just talk more nice things about her while she figures out how to turn her microphone on. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes, it's all right. I had to turn that. So I never turn it off, so it never occurs to me to look at it to turn it on. Oh, that's odd. Well, we're I don't glad. Know how I got turned off. Well, I know. I think I know how that happened this time around. Uh-huh. But. It's well, a long story. Well, welcome so. home, Steph. Yay, I made it. And thank you for the wonderful introduction. It was lovely, as usual. So, so a little bit of uh, stormy weather. After listening to that. A little bit of stormy weather there in yeah, the, uh, your area? A little bit stormy. It's it's raining. It's um, I still hear some thunder and lightning out there. It looked like it was clearing up when I left work and then drove right back into it. So um, I think it'll be around the rest of the evening. Uh, nothing too terrible, though. Yeah. I guess... Uh, but, Enough to, enough to make a mess of traffic. 
further to the west in uh, Georgia and South Carolina, I guess maybe south of where you are, I guess they've had some sightings of uh, tornadoes uh, touching down. Tornadoes, and, yeah. And damage. Yeah. I heard about that, but yeah. no, fortunately, none of that nasty stuff here. So. Good. Well, good to hear it. I'm glad that you're safe and sound. Oh, so, you know, we're, we're kind of in the news segment of the show here. We're not quite uh, finished with that, but uh, catch us up. Uh, what's been happening with you this last, I don't know, week, week and a half? Uh, well, I guess it was kind of a blessing in a disguise that we didn't actually record a show last week because last week was a not a great week for me. And I probably won't get into a whole lot of detail about that, but some people know kind of what, what was going on. But um you know, long story short, a good friend of mine unfortunately passed away unexpectedly uh, beginning of last week. And then on top of it, I just had one of the worst weeks I've ever had at work. <laughs> so that didn't didn't really help things. But, um, you know, uh, kind of a little bit aviation related, a good good friend of mine that was one of my first fl- friends in flying after I really got my private pilot certificate. I think I got my certificate. And then the next, you know, I got that at what, 40 something hours. And then the next 60 hours after that, I spent flying around Eastern North Carolina with this guy, just having a good time, going out to all kinds of different places. And um, yeah, a lot of a lot of good times, a lot of good memories. And um, sad that he's not here to share those times anymore. But um, fortunately, I was able to make it out there for, for a service last week and, uh, you know, see his family and a lot of other friends and share some stories. And that was pretty therapeutic. So that's good. good. That's good. Yeah. Feeling much better this week. Had a nice weekend of doing nothing and recovered nicely. So. Good. Well, we're we're glad that you're back to yourself, and um, hopefully everything is going swimmingly at work this week. Of <laughs> yes, course, it's Monday, it's, so, so <laughs> it's Monday. Yeah. Well, it's it was. Really it wasn't bad. It was. It wasn't bad. Yeah. So okay. I survived. It was better than last week's already. So good. Yeah. Well, good to hear it. Okay. Uh, let's see. So we were talking about, uh, uh, I guess, an incident uh, with a near miss of a drone uh, near drone. Heathrow, but yes. we've talked about that shortly after it happened uh, the end of last year. And I guess they have a, uh, the Airprox board had done some investigation and they still haven't determined who was the operator and, you know, whatever. But uh, they said it was a safety was not assured. I think uh, Captain Nick said. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was listening to you guys talk about that. And I said, that just sounds like deja vu. Like you have yeah. all these drones flying at... <laughs> Really high altitudes around Heathrow? What's going on? It was just an excuse for me to play the drone sound Play the drone sound effect, actually. yes. So. Well, I really enjoyed the uh, video that Nick put up earlier. I think you guys mentioned that. I didn't see bit. the uh, video. I'll have oh, to, yeah, I'll have to check it. that out. I mean, it's just like a 30-second clip of it on yeah. Twitter, correct? Uh, exactly right, yeah. I, I haven't uh, – it's only my second or third flight, so uh, – uh, I didn't. Uh, wasn't well, you much with it. crash it significantly less often than I did when I had access to a drone. So you're doing well. <laughs> that video, the video, uh, it was that the one with the lady that was uh, in a bikini and she was running uh, away. No, that right? was the first video I put up. Oh, missed, okay. Missed <laughs> Throwing rocks at your no, brand new. This drone. is the one where I, I'm like chasing a herd of horses around the field. <laughs> Not really joking, because that actually happens. So uh, let me just warn any drone pilots out there: please don't try and uh, and film wildlife or even worse, uh, uh, horses and things in fields, because you'll drive them mad. They will get nervous. They will run away, and they will do something stupid and injure themselves. Yeah. So uh, stay clear of the wildlife. Yes. Good advice. 
Even and that's my, even my dogs didn't like it. I was going to say, much. you can see the dogs getting a little bit uh, anxious about it. They're like looking at it, going, I "That that is don't... a damn great big bee." Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I've never seen a bee or a hornet that big in my life. Not, uh, I'm hiding behind your legs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, now my dog would just attack the bee, so he'd probably be trying to chase after it. Hey, yeah. so. do you guys know who uh, Elon Musk is? I've heard of that guy. Yeah, no. you know he uh, he's the guy that Tesla you know, the Tesla stuff. the uh, cars oh, really? electric cars and he's also the uh, guy that uh, founded and he's the uh, CEO of uh, SpaceX the uh, private oh, uh, commercial that, isn't that the lot that land their retro uh, rockets or not yeah. retro rockets their booster their booster rocket on the back on a on a barge? Yep, the yes, Falcon 9 really, booster. That technology is fantastic. It's amazing. I, I When I first saw that, uh, the video of the, the first time they did it, I thought, well, that's that. this is made up. There's no way that this could actually be real. <laughs> but it was, and it's amazing. Um, it certainly is. Anyway, uh, he's a very, he's a he's a genius, really. He's a, he's a very smart man. And... Um, Apparently, um, he, he put out a, a tweet the other day, um, and it kind of ties in with our show, because we like to talk about chemtrails here. And it says, uh, looks like... No, we don't. No, we don't. Oh, yeah, we don't. Oh. Okay. Uh, it looks like Elon Musk hopped aboard the chemtrail conspiracy theory bandwagon on Saturday afternoon. His bizarre series of tweets asserting that chemtrails are aliens' way of telling humans the secret to teleportation may come as a little surprise, or co may come as little surprise to some people. After all, the SpaceX founder and CEO has been known to entertain esoteric theories from time to time. In 2016, the billionaire transportation magnet even proposed that we are living in a simulation. Um, but uh, then he, shortly after he did the uh, the tweet about the chemtrails, there was a second tweet that uh, basically wanted to emphasize the date of the tweet was uh, Saturday, <laughs> yes. the 1st of April. It was an April <laughs> Fool's joke. So um, that, that won't stop a whole bunch of people taking him seriously. Though. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, right. it would almost be believable that he actually did believe that. Right. Well, yeah. that's the that's the key to success of a good April Fool's joke. You yes, know? you're right. Got to make it hard to believe, right. but not quite out of the realm of not possibility. Not impossible to believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so I thought that was funny. And and speaking of um, C H E M trails, um, Harvard scientists are gearing up for some of the first outdoor geoengineering experiments. Uh, let's see, this article is talking about a pair of Harvard climate scientists. Uh, they're going to use a, um, a balloon, a high-altitude balloon, to uh, put out some sprays of various chemicals to, to test their effectiveness. And I'm trying to really read through this quickly. I should have highlighted some of this stuff. But uh, uh, they're talking about using some materials like uh, aluminum, calcium, uh, citrate or something like that and I forgot what the other chemical it is they're going to spray out there to see if they can um, do something to reflect or absorb some of the uh, energy from the sun uh, kind of mimicking what uh, a volcanic eruption does on a much larger scale so uh, let's see they hope to launch a high altitude balloon tethered to a gondola 
equipped with propellers and sensors. And they're going to, uh, here we go, spray a fine mist of materials such as sulfur dioxide, alumina, or calcium carbonate into the stratosphere. The sensors would then measure the reflectivity of the particles, the degree to which they disperse or coalesce, and the way they interact with other compounds in the atmosphere. So, um, of course, this is a far stretch from airliners spewing out just streams of uh, chemical trails. Uh, this sounds like just a very isolated thing. But I guess the point of this is Wait. it's possible that in the future you look up there and you see those things that they actually could be chemtrails. Who knows? Yes. yes. Well, right? yeah, like you said, small little cloud of particles for science purposes. Yep. Come and on. a little bit of mind control. Yes. Well, you know. Little line, a little mind control goes a long way, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I must admit, we're desperate straits if they ever have to do this for real to try and cool the planet down, because heaven knows what they'll upset by putting it there. They may mm. have the initial desired effect of re reducing the amount of uh, insulation, uh, but uh, what, what else might go wrong? <laughs> I hate to think. I know. I mean, you can you can take going green a little bit too far, I think. We're going green. We're going green. We're going to take care of the earth. We're going green. We need to take care of the earth. So Exactly right. Don't, don't screw By the way, it too uh, badly. Talking about um, April the 1st, obviously uh, I saw that one airline uh, had an aircraft with which could flap its wings to uh, aid propulsion. That was very good. Uh, and uh, Emirates had traveled on. Uh, had um, They have converted uh, their uh, 380s. They'd taken out the cargo deck and put in uh, games. Uh, oh, I saw that. Yeah. Like pool and yeah, stuff. Pool yeah. there. They had, uh, That's actually a good idea. Um, yeah, billiard tables and uh, and you know pool tables, and uh, you know a bunch of other you know, hot tubs and all that kind of stuff in the bottom deck, which I thought was a great idea. I like that it. wasn't real. Was... <laughs> Dang yeah. It. It, it! Yeah, and then there was uh, Flykea. Oh yes, Flykea <laughs> had their own airline. <laughs> Filled with IKEA furniture. <laughs> exactly right. Now, that, that I thought would have been, been improved if they'd said, "Look, we, we're going to give, we're going to have an empty airplane, and all the passengers get a flat pack. So when you get a ticket, you get a flat pack, and you bring your chair on with you. And that means that they can't you down away. yourself. Pull out the Allen wrenches. There you go. You've got to put your chair together and bring it on there. That would be better. Except you're going to be missing one crucial component. <laughs> yeah. And then you're going to have to call and find out what, how you've actually put it together. Absolutely. Or you'll have all the components, but they won't be quite true, so they won't fit together. Oh, no, they can't so, be. It can't be that Swedish company you're talking about because their stuff's very huh? good. No, I mean, it, it is very always good. works. I, I've never had any problems assembling any of their furniture. No, nobody um, has. <laughs> the other one I enjoyed very much was a uh, U.S. domestic carrier. They, uh, their April Fool's joke was that they created a, uh, uh, like a Tinder dating service for seatmates oh. on their planes. Ah. So you could <laughs> log into it when you got on the plane and find out who you wanted to date on the on the airplane. That no, I think there idea. was somebody that tried to do a service like that. There was, there was something. It was for airports. It was real. Specifically. Yeah, yeah huh. it was real. This was just specifically if you're on a certain flight, you uh, know, you log on to the flight, you know. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. 
Okay, well, let me look through the news folder here and make sure we didn't uh, miss anything. I think we got it all. Um, yeah, okay, that's good. That means it's uh, time for yep. the best part of the show. Captain, incoming message. Thank you. Um, gosh, I guess we should start with uh, this from Christian. Uh, He says, hi, APG crew. This is Christian from North Germany. I'm an engineer working for Acme Aircraft and a commercial pilot. I'm listening to APG roughly since episode 20 or so, and I can just say, great show. Love it. I recently came across some secret information from the Acme Air Training Department. Not sure if it was released to Captain Jeff by now uh, and if it is allowed for him to talk about it. Um, maybe you can talk about it on the show. Uh, maybe you had it and missed it anywhere. Anyway, here it is. Best from Germany, Christian. So the Acme air company is pleased to announce the following. Now, uh, you know, I don't, hopefully, uh, lawyers listening. I hope that they, I hope I don't get any trouble for releasing some of this classified information, but you hope you didn't get into any special high intensity teaching. Yeah, well, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, the Acme Air Company is pleased to announce the following. In order to assure the highest levels of quality work and productivity from our pilots, it will be our policy to keep all crews well taught through our program of special high-intensity teaching. Uh, I, in fact, that's that's what I kind of just basically went through this past week. I was going to say, yeah, I think yeah. that's... Absolutely. Um, took a lot of that. And, you know, we like to use acronyms in uh, aviation. <laughs> So instead of saying oh, yeah, special high intensity so teaching perfect. every time, we just say we'll just say uh, Sierra Hotel India Tango or SHIT. Uh, we are trying to give our crews more SHIT than any other airline. If you feel that you did not receive your share of SHIT at work, please see your chief pilot. You'll immediately be placed at the top of the SHIT list, and our trainers are especially skilled at seeing you get all the SHIT you can handle. Pilots who don't know SHIT will be placed in the Departmental uh, Educational Evaluation Programs. Uh, that would be D-E-E-P-S-H-I-T or DEEP SHIT. Um, those who fail to take DEEP SHIT seriously will have to go to Educational Attitude Training, which is uh, uh, E-A-T, or we could just say EAT for short, EAT. S-H-I-T. Since our trainers all took S-H-I-T before they were promoted, they don't have to do S-H-I-T anymore as they are full of S-H-I-T already. If you are full of S-H-I-T, you may be interested in applying for the BSC and passing on your knowledge to others. We can add your name to our basic understanding lecture list, which is, of course, the BULL S-H-I-T. Uh, for pilots who are interested in pursuing a career in management, we will refer you to the Department of Managerial Operational Research Education, which, of course, is more SHIT. If you have further questions, please direct them to our Head of Task Special High Intensity Training, or HOT SHIT. Contact your base captain. Wow. Um, oh, man. That was, that was a lot of information. That was a lot of that's SHIT. A lot of information. And, and I hope you, you know, are taking that bulletin very seriously. I am. Back me. I, I, okay, we, we absolutely are. And uh, I think we've already seen the results of this, uh, this memorandum. Well, I mean, I was going to tell you that um, HR here at the APG show has also put together a similar 
uh, ah, training program. So I see. So are you uh, hot? S H I T. That would be me. Head yes. of task. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. I want to know. Uh, I want to know what happens when S H I T hits the the F A N. It makes a mess, Nick, um, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Huge mess. Yes. Ah, okay. Uh, Joe writes in. Uh, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Joe. Uh, I came out to the Farnborough Air Show meetup and am planning on coming to Pittsburgh. Do you plan well, on hey. having... Huh? I said, well, hey. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I uh, thought cheery. somebody had an objection there in the background. Joe, no, we don't want you to come. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, do you plan on having a reserved area at the air show for us APGers, or are the t details still being worked out? Thanks. Um, well, we are pleased to tell you, yes, we will have a place at the air show. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like, but uh, it'll be at least uh, a space somewhere on the uh flight line or near the flight line and uh, hopefully we'll have some kind of a, a banner there so you can uh, spot us all hanging out all of us aviation geeks and um, uh, po potentially a some kind of a shelter from the sun we're not sure about that yet but we'll we'll find out more t details as the time I'll approaches be wearing my uh, big sun hat so yes i'll be good to go there you go bring uh, lots yes. of suntan lotion Square. maybe some long sleeve shirts uh, some spray bottles you know for misting and uh lots of alcohol no wait a minute you can't do that that's a shelter for aviators who don't have a home it'll be a homeless shelter our homeless shelter yes um so homeless APGs. um but some other folks had asked about uh you know if there was a a preferred hotel i can tell you that i think most of the apgers not all but most of us are going to be staying at the uh uh, Marriott Courtyard Hotel, which is right there next to the uh, 9-11th um, uh, Reserve Wing, uh, basically across the street from uh, where you would enter for the air show. And um, just uh, some made some progress. Uh, we have secured one of the uh, event spaces at, the, at that hotel for our Saturday night um, meetup, get-together. And uh, again, more information forthcoming regarding that. So, gosh, it's getting closer. It's uh, less, well, a little bit more than a month away, right? Five weeks. Yeah, wow. One, two, three, four, five. Yep. Yeah. I wrote again today to my uh, my manager, uh, double requesting the time off. So I'm still got fingers crossed. Don't upset him now. Don't nag him too much. Well, that's only the second note he's got. I okay. was, I was going to limit it at that, but... Uh, I'll just check to see if I had a reply. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the APG yeah, Corral, Liz says. Yes. <laughs> Plans are firming up. Go ahead, Steph. Switch a, uh, I don't know, I just to say I had to switch a call, but I took that, took care of that. So we're oh, good okay. to go. Okay, we're good. Yeah. Oh, oh, for your, uh, for the 13th for and 14th. Okay, gotcha. Okay. No, I was, I was supposed to be on call that week. I was like, that's ah. not going to work so great. Well, you could still do it. You just wouldn't be able to come well, back to Well, that's what Charlotte. I said. I was like, I, well, but I never have to anyway, but oh. sometimes when it's really noisy, that kind yeah. of... Wait, is it going to be noisy? the biggest problem is the actual the travel line? part. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Yeah. The biggest the biggest issue is actually just travel. Yeah. So if there's, you know, an hour and 15 minutes I'm in the air uh, you're and not, not with my phone, that's an yeah. issue. Yes. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, as we said, but we're, we're really looking forward to it and hopefully we'll uh, be uh, 
you know, giving you a little bit more information as we get closer to that date. All right, moving on. Benjamin um, writes, he is uh, uh, instructor Benjamin Choi from Sydney, Australia. Uh, he says, I saw the below video of a 737 performing a go-around after a wind shear warning. It definitely looks like a high workload situation. It was good to see the captain turn the automation off, fly the aircraft, but there seemed to be a strange interaction between the pilot flying and the pilot monitoring. It seems strange to me that the pilot flying raised the gear himself and seemed to call for flaps a few times, just to guess as I don't speak their language. Uh, can one of you talk us through the wind shear escape maneuver for your aircraft? And have you experienced a similar situation yourself? Now, I also know it's easy to commentate from uh, our couches here, but any opinions on how the crew handled the situation? And uh, we'll put this uh, link to this YouTube video in the show notes. And it's uh, did you guys get a chance to see this? Yep. No. Um, Sorry. Well, the, the first thing I'll say is, and maybe... Captain Nickel agree with me on this one. You know, you have a very clear view of the uh, navigation display and uh, lots of bright colors. I can see it on the screenshots. It looks um, it looks it much looks, like our weather uh, here today in Charlotte. Yes. Horrendous. Is it really a wonder? It'll be fine. Yeah. Is it really a wonder that they experienced a wind shear in this? I mean, it's like solid red they're flying through, and in fact, at one point in the um, in the in the video, you can hear it sounds like hail hitting the the windscreen, uh, at least That's heavy sure. rain, Absolutely. if not hail. Um, and, uh, and and you know, I'm glad that there is video of the. I'm, if if I were the captain, I'm not sure I would have posted this uh, myself, but um, I'm glad that whoever posted it did because it really gives you. <laughs> A, an up close look at, you know, what could happen if you're in a wind shear situation. And even though it looks like there was not a lot of coordination between the two crew members, and uh, it, I, I think that uh, they handled the situation, I think overall pretty well. Um, and uh, what was his question? He was concerned about something here about. Uh, well, the guy lifted lifted the gear himself. It sounded yeah. like he was calling for things and wasn't get a lot. But having said that, all the all the flap calls he made, the first officer was there. I just mm -hmm. don't. I think the FO might have just missed his gear call, so he just reached across and do it, did it himself, which is right, uh, reasonably rare. I don't think we'd do that. I'd just. But it's a it's shout, a shout to the guy a second time. It's a very intense. Uh, you got to watch the video. It's very intense and. Having just gone through something like that, I, I could him, I could see the captain gun like going, okay, gear up, gear, you know, like he's like pretty frazzled from yeah. going through the whole thing and just went, never mind, I'll just do it myself. So I don't really see a problem with that. I mean, is that the optimum? No, but um, it, actually, what they were doing in this situation was, you know, what you're supposed to do if you're if you encounter a wind shear. I mean, you don't you don't change the configuration until you have recovered from the wind shear. And you just leave everything as it is, and then positive you, rate and all of yeah, all that you, good stuff. Well, you just you just you just fly the airplane and uh, basically right. put the nose twenty. Well, for my airplane, twenty degrees nose nose up. Uh, firewall the throttles if you wow. need to. If you're getting close to ground contact, the other pilot should be calling out uh, trends on the airspeed, whether the airspeed is rapidly decreasing or in, or increasing. Height above the ground, you know, looking at the radio altimeter. Um, 
et cetera. Um, and just basically, and, and waiting for when, if your airplane does have wind shear guidance, which I'm sure this 737 that we're in uh, has it, uh, where you, and then the other person would say, you have guidance to let you know that you can actually use the uh, flight director bars to help you get through this wind shear uh, situation. But, you know, having done this in the simulator, thankfully not in the real airplane, not nothing like this, um, I can tell you that after you are recovering from the uh, the wind shear uh, avoidance maneuver, uh, you that's almost like the hardest part of the whole thing is recovering from that because now all of a sudden you have an amazing burst of performance, you know, uh, acceleration, climb rate, everything else, and trying to get the airplane back under control after you actually get out of the shear itself is is sometimes harder than actually just flying through the shear. Uh, no, I, I agree, Jeff. It that that uh, it you kind of uh, relax a little bit once you're out of the wind shear, and uh, the cleanup often becomes a little bit of a shambles because you're kind of uh, you've got much more speed than you you want, uh, and uh, you're doing things in a rather non-standard order. So you've left the aircraft configured way longer than you normally would. Now you're going to try and clear it up, and it's hard sometimes to get into the groove to get the calls right and get the actions exactly right. So I understand entirely. Now, you watch the video. Uh, did it say wind shear or did it say wind shear ahead? Oh, I don't remember now. No, so it may have been. See, I, when I watched it, I thought it said wind shear ahead. Oh, it was a predictive wind shear that went off then. Do you have predictive well, I, wind shear in your uh, airplane? Yes, we do. And we have distinctly different mm -hmm. uh, actions. Well, not yeah. distinctly different. We have different actions for wind shear ahead. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I don't know if someone in the uh, oh, I was going to say someone in the chat room can play it and work it out. But uh, uh, it, if it was a wind shear warning, then he he did the right thing. But for an art point of view, for a wind shear ahead, we do a standard go around, which mm -hmm. we if we then hit full wind shear during that, then we do what he did basically. But uh, it's not exactly what we we're taught to do for windshear ahead. But I, I'd have to watch it again to make sure I'm right. Let me see. That's uh, interesting. I didn't realize that for windshear ahead that you would initiate a go around. I mean, it makes sense, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's oh. a start. You you do a standard go around, so you start cleaning the aircraft up because after all, it's not ideal to have all the gear hanging down right, right, right. Uh, if you're trying to get the best performance out of the aircraft. But the reason we don't do it in a in a full wind shear is that when all the doors open, you actually add the gear, and that's the last time you want that to happen. Sure. And also, there's a chance you may impact on the runway, so you'd actually prefer to have the gear down to, uh, you know, take the the strain if you if you were to do that. But if you get a wind shear ahead, you've usually got time to at least complete most of the cleanup before you hit it, and then you've got more speed, more performance. You don't have the drag of the gear, etc. But, um, yeah, no, all, all good points makes a lot of sense. So. Yeah, but I'd have to watch it again to see which warning he got. Well, let me pull it up here in the uh, this other browser and see if we could hear something from it. I don't it was know just right it... at the beginning, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 
Yeah, we'll put a link uh, to this in the show notes. But you're right, Captain Nick. It was uh, a wind shear, a uh, predictive wind shear warning, not a an actual wind shear. Yeah. So I mean, what he did was was not unsafe. Mm-hmm. It just it was. He, but he would have been better off doing a just standard go around because. That also is uh, the type of go-around we do all the time. So mm-hmm. it's not so easy to get confused. Uh, um, the wind should go around is something different. So you Good need catch. to try and remember that drill. Good catch. Thank you, sir. Uh, let's see. So hopefully that answered... Uh uh, Benjamin. Oh, wait, so did you? Did I miss it? Did you walk us through the actual wind shear go around too? You may have, but I was just. Oh, uh, as oh. I said, basically on, on my airplane, I don't know if it varies. Yeah, it's just. But uh, you know, there are a couple different situations. You know, you have a, if you have wind shear on takeoff or uh, wind shear on uh, approach. Uh, if you're close to the ground, um, the, you know, you just you, you don't worry about the engines on That's the right. kind right. of airplane you I'm flying. You just jam it to the firewall and. Uh, get all the thrust you can out of it and then you point the nose up to 20 degrees nose high minimum and then if you need to even more uh, we have something called a pitch limit uh, indicator um, that comes down at a certain point to kind of let you know that you're getting close to uh, the stall regime as well but um, you know you just even if you right, have to fly in it in the stick you shaker, don't change any of the configuration it's not no, a standard no no you just okay. leave everything okay. out um, because it. you just have to get it out of the, that situation first and then uh, recover sure. from the recovery is what we call it. Right. <laughs> at exactly right. Um, and for the uh, Airbus, because I have to pull it out in preparation for the question, uh, if you have it uh, during your initial climber or landing phase, try, uh, you put the thrust levers to toga, you set them there or confirm they're there. And this is different. Autopilot, uh, if it's engaged, you keep it on in an Airbus. Hmm. Uh, and the reason for that is that the autopilot can fly uh, SRS, which is uh, the pitch to keep you at your reference speed. It can fly it more accurately than you can because it moves around a lot during uh, a wind shear because uh, as you gain energy, uh, it will uh, pitch up a lot to allow you to get height. And as you lose energy, it'll flatten the aircraft off, and the autopilot will do that very accurately indeed. Um, however, uh, if uh, the autopilot, if the um, angle of attack increases too much, uh, then the autopilot will, trick, uh, will cut out. So you have to be prepared to take manual control, and if it does, then you manually follow SRS. And it says... Um, you the flight crew may pull uh, use full backstick as necessary so the lovely thing about the uh, airbus is that you're protected from uh, from stalling the aircraft so you can you don't have to be concerned and try and hold the airplane in a very environmental situation uh, on the stick shaker you can uh, just hit the full backstick and you know the aircraft will maintain the best uh, coefficient of lift it can in the situation Yes. Um, I, I should mention that um, that's the first thing as far as what the power is um, concerned on the airplane that I fly is we you know push the toga buttons and set takeoff go around power. Uh, then if ground contact is a factor, then you aggressively apply maximum thrust, which is, you know, what we call just, you know, jamming it up through the firewall. Um, the, but the first thing we do, though, in this maneuver is disconnect the autopilot. And I think that's the same procedure on a Boeing. Uh, where you disconnect the autopilot and uh, disconnect the auto throttles, and you're basically this is a manual maneuver. But uh, you know we don't have the same kind of system that the Airbus has. Uh, they also talk about simultaneously rolling the wings level and 
uh, and I, I, I misspoke here, rotate initially toward 15 degrees nose high. And uh, what I was confusing that with is a gra- uh, uh, terrain, terrain pull up, kind of a ground uh, collision avoidance maneuver, um, which gotcha. is 20 degrees. Um, so I'm a little confused already from my recent training. Um, and if the speed brakes are extended, make sure that you retract those uh, because that can definitely affect your <laughs> rate of climb and performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it, What's interesting about all of these things, and, and one of the hardest ones to deal with when you're a, a captain, uh, is getting one on a takeoff because um, it's very easy to uh, go through wind shear and takeoff when you're approaching uh, the point at which you start rotating and uh, uh, and lifting the aircraft off when you suddenly lose a vast amount of speed um, because the wind shear has re- you know, reduced the always perhaps turn into a t- strong tailwind and you lose all this indicated airspeed and you're in this dreadful dilemma um, because you, can, you can't fly the airplane until you get that speed back again and yet you can't stop safely because you've physically gone f- so far down the runway at that point uh, and your ground speed is still very high that um, you haven't got enough runway left to stop because you've gone past V1. So that is one of the hardest decisions for a captain to do, uh, is to consider stopping the aircraft during a wind shear on takeoff. And the assistance our notes give us, it said, the takeoff should only be rejected if significant airspeed variations occur, occur below indicated V1 and the pilot decides there is sufficient runway remaining to stop the airplane. So um, suggesting that once you pass V1, you should actually continue and uh, you know right. trust that you'll get that, you will be able to get off the runway. What do you reckon, Jeff? I'm, yeah. It'd be a hard decision to reject if that happens. Oh, really? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, on our airport, we have the predictive wind shear. Uh, uh, we have a wind shear caution. We have a uh, predictive wind shear warning, and they both have different parameters. But uh, basically, if you hear either of those uh, on your takeoff roll, um, one is inhibited at 80 knots and one is inhibited at 100 knots. Um, and so if you hear that, you know, in that speed regime, uh, you're you're supposed to uh, abort the takeoff. But the the time from 100 knots to your v1 speed which could be you know it could be 130 140 uh, or higher uh, there uh, these warnings are inhibited and the only indication that you're going to have a wind shear is like major stagnation of your speed or other there are some other clues that you might have and that's the the tough part is trying to decide whether to continue that at that point or stop or try to stop and that is left uh, to the discretion of the captain at that point. So, I mean, that sounds like a tough decision, but that also sounds like a very, very unusual situation. And I think in most cases where you would encounter those types of weather conditions and wind shears, you probably wouldn't be attempting the takeoff in the first place, hopefully. That's such a good point, Steph. Good I mean, point. <laughs> that's the best <laughs> way to avoid. Like, <laughs> thinking of all these things that could cause these terrible wind shears, I'm like, I wouldn't be taking off in that. <laughs> right. That's what you want to do. And not just because I'm in a small general aviation aircraft. I mean, that just sounds, yeah. Yeah. If they're if they're it's talking wind shears, and the, yeah. you're looking out your window, and it's like really, really dark clouds, <laughs> and you're looking at you know uh, very colorful radar returns, et cetera, then the, that might be the time to say, you know. 
There's your I'm sign. Go ahead and wait until yeah. uh, this goes sign. by. Yeah, or yeah. maybe find a more favorable runway. You know, et cetera. Yeah, good point. Or wait, you know, half yeah. an hour. Yeah, because it's just time. You know, so what if you're late? As long you know, as long as you're still alive. Exactly. Um, Joe Skina, uh, A320 captain. Uh, sent us a link from uh, flightservicebureau.org. It's a really nice site, by the way. You should check it out. Uh, we'll put a link to this uh, article in the show notes. Uh, the problem of bull SHIT notums is the, uh, the title of this. this is, I think this, we've this got our fun. theme for the week. This is actually, yes, it's a very S H I T T Y episode. My favorite uh, feedback since I've been listening to the show this is this is a typical old curmudgeon feedback i love this well then i think that you should take over right at this point (laughs) go for it oh well i didn't prepare myself to read it (laughs) well the uh the problem of uh of bull notams uh, the article creates a firestorm of engagement several hundred emails and 127,000 people that visited the blog most of it was overwhelmingly positive. Some of it wasn't. Uh, and he says, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. We communicate the most critical flight information using a system invented in 1920. Well, to be fair, the radio was probably invented in 1890 or somewhere. I don't know when Marconi did that. But let's not go there. With a format unchanged since 1924, burying essential information that will lose a pilot their job, an airline their aircraft, and passengers their lives. It's an interesting point. No times are very important. They're definitely there. Um, in a mountain of unreadable, irrelevant uh, bull. Yes, CASA, uh, C-A-S-A, Australia. <laughs> that's you. Uh, and I suppose that's the Civil Aviation something authority. Someone help me there. I don't know. I'm not quite sure the Australian one is. Greek CAA, that's you, and you're not alone. And, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he has, you have to read, uh, look some of these up through the link, but he's put some example no terms. And we've got here one from uh, Sydney, uh, YSSY, Sydney International. And uh, it's it's a NOTAM H1107-17, and it just is, I don't know, it's a whole paragraph of heights. And, and I'm going, what on earth is this? And it's like 413 feet AMSL bearing 014 mag, 2.78 nautical miles from airport, 466 feet AMSL bearing. It's just a list of heights, bearings, and distances, I guess, of obstacles that they might have around the airport. What on earth you're supposed to do with it, I haven't a clue, unless you sat there with a map for about half an hour and plotted the position of all these. Um, in a t- anyway, he goes on. In, a, in an unten- unintended twist of irony, the agency is seeking to cover their legal asses. Perhaps they have uh, donkeys. Are uh, partly to creating the most criminal of systems. Are party to creating the most criminal of systems. An unending flow of aeronautical sewage, rendering the critical few pieces of information unfindable. This is more than just hugely frustrating for each pilot, dispatcher, and controller that has to 
pass through it all. It's downright dangerous. If you're a pilot, you'll either had already had experience of this or you're going to. You stuff something up and you'll be told, but there was a no-tam out about that. Sure enough, there it was in black and white and big capitals. Do you think that but there was a hundred pages of them is going to be a valid defense. Well, it should be. The same agency conducting your post-incident interview is busy on the other end, stuffing the system full of garbage that prevented you from seeing it in the first place. And it goes on. There are three parts of the problem. The system, the format, and the content. The system is quite amazing. The AFTN network connects every country in the world, and no time information once added is immediately available to every user, coupled with the internet delivery is immediate. The format is at best forgivable. It's pretty awful. It's tri a trip back in time to when uh, no terms were introduced. You might think that it was the 1960s or the 50s. In fact, it was 1924 when the five-bit... ITA2 was introduced. The world shifted to uh, ASCII in uh, 1963, bringing the upper and lower case format that every QWERTY keyboard uses today, but we didn't follow. Nope, we stick with our 1924 format. Thank you. <laughs> Read that again. Yep, 1924. Back then, uppercase code-infested aeronautical messages would have seemed impressive, almost reassuring in their aloofness. But there weren't in excess of one million no-terms a year back then, a milestone we passed into 2013. The one million milestone is remarkable in itself, but here's something else. In 2006, there were only half a million. So in seven years, no-terms have doubled. Why? Are there twice as many airports? No. Nope. Twice as many changes and updates? No. Nope. Possibly, but far more likely, the operating agencies became twice as scared about leaving everything out. He goes on, and I it's quite a long piece, so perhaps it's uh, worth just reading it for yourself. But basically, he's saying that uh, airports are so terrified that if they don't put every piece of garbage into the list of no-terms that they create, uh, then uh, if some pilot uh, has a problem and, um, uh, you know, says, well, I should have known about that, then they may be found liable. I love it. It's a great piece. It is, and it's so true. And, and Jennifer says, well, not a big fan of notums, apparently. Well, the problem is, Jen, you know, <laughs> what this whole thing is bringing up is the fact that there is just so much of it that there is absolutely no way you can get through it all. And the stuff that's really important is just buried somewhere in, in it. And you're m very likely going to miss it. And well, I mean, even as a, you know, example, I mean, I'm not usually flying near as far of distances as you guys are. So there should theoretically be less NOTAMs for me to sift through when I file a flight plan. It's still ridiculous. The amount of stuff that you get, it's like, okay, irrelevant, 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 irrelevant. Oh, that's important. I should read this one. You know, but there's so much of it. It's like you said, you could lose, you can easily miss something that's important or relevant in all the stuff that's, you know, it's it's 100 pages of obstructions near the airport, yeah. you know, or temporary cranes near the airport or, you know, a pappy that's out somewhere or something. There's just so much stuff in NOTAMs that really aren't critical and the, the important stuff is not highlighted. Right. So, 
Uh, my company is doing something about trying to cut through all the uh, the stuff that is not necessary to look at. It's not quite there yet. They're they're getting better and easier to read, but it's still got a long way to go. But my favorite article uh, paragraph in this article, Nick, was the. Uh, uh, the one that says, nobody cares unless you've parked the Eiffel Tower on the threshold. Leave this stuff for the AIP. And nobody cares about kites either, nor about goat grazing times. We don't care if your bird scarer is uh, out of service or unusable. We don't care if there's a cherry picker fixing a bulb somewhere. We don't care when you're cutting your grass. Anyway, it goes <laughs> yeah. on. It's a very no, uh, that type of stuff. Right. You know, there's there's information for all of it. Yeah. Um, uh, because the one thing you're going to miss in amongst the goat grazing times is the fact that one of their major runways is closed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's it or has... the airport is closed. Like, you know, because that could just be in there, like, you know, just nonchalantly. Oh, by the way, we closed the airport because of this, that, or the other. And then go on to, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, goats will be back like tomorrow at 8 a.m. Yeah, to graze. It's not like they're put in an order of importance. No. They're just random, and uh, you'll find something vital buried in a whole pile of rubbish. BS. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I think it's so, a brilliant article. I love it. <laughs> I was too. trying to, um, because Foreflight has actually been trying to make some of these things more digestible. And I was trying to do a fake flight plan and, and brief it here to pull it up to see what that looked like. But apparently I've not saved some settings appropriately since I updated the app. So I'll have to fix that. I couldn't uh, figure it out in the five yeah. Well, on the average flight, I get about 20 minutes to go through all the flight paperwork and make all the decisions about uh, fuel and whether the routing's good and uh, pick up any anomalies. Uh, and uh, and how many you know, pages I'm, of paperwork would you say are in an average packet of stuff that you'd get? Uh, yeah, well, just the notes, you go through one uh, usually, yeah. let's say, no terms, double printed, 56 to 60 would be a normal flight. And they're in sort of tiny points, so they're they're like I don't know size eight or something. As if you printed them, they uh, so you get double printed, and they're top to bottom absolutely covered in no terms. Uh, so yeah, there's no possible way you could read over a hundred pages, not in a million years. So you've got to try and speed read it, and try and pick out. I hope your brain picks out the important bits. And you hope that uh, when you pick up the automatic terminal information service, uh, either via via ACARS or the uh, radio, that the, whatever the important stuff is, is the stuff they're going to include in that message. Yeah. That's where you're going to hear, uh, this runway is closed, and this room, the airport's closed. <laughs> Go away. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, great article. Uh, do yourself a favor and uh, click on the link that we're going to put in the show notes for you and uh, check so it thanks, out. Joe. Yeah. Thank That's you. Joe. A, a great find. <laughs> yeah, really. Thanks. Hey, let's do this. I'm going to skip down to the very bottom here. This is something that we got in relatively recently. Uh, you may have heard of Carlos uh, Stebbings and uh, Matt Smith uh, from the Plain Talking UK podcast. And you may also know, uh, many of you who listen to the show also listen to their great show, uh, that uh, Matt is uh, not what I would call um, a... Uh, 
what would you say, a, a, a frequent flyer. In fact, he doesn't like flying at all. <laughs> comfortable, comfortable flyer. Comfortable yeah. flyer, um, yes. Yeah. But he um, apparently needs to get over this. And um, Captain Al uh, has been working with him and uh, also others. And uh, anyway, they sent us some audio feedback. Looks like he, uh, actually, uh, Owen sent in the feedback. It's some audio from a recent trip that the two of them took to Toulouse, France. So let's have a listen. Greetings, pot pickers. It's Matt from the Plane Talking UK podcast here. I'm sat on a Ryanair aeroplane and uh, I'm uh, on my way back from Toulouse. We've been on a little test flight for me, those of you who've uh, had the misfortune of listening to the drivel that we put out on a weekly basis will know that Matt's a little bit terrified of flying and um, my new job requires that I need to be able to get on an aeroplane and basically not brick myself every time I do that. So. I had uh, lots of counselling via a marvellous organisation known as Flight Fear Solutions, or Captain Al, as we like to call him. And here I am sat with a very good friend of both shows, uh, a lovely chap by the name of Owen. Say hello, Owen. Hey, guys. We're just sat here coming back from Toulouse. Had an amazing time doing all sorts of wonderful aviation-related stuff. We got to see the Airbus facility down here, which was yeah. absolutely unbelievable. Uh, we had the opportunity to go on two tours. One uh, was a panoramic view where we took a look at the at the site from a bus and got to see pretty much the whole 700 hectares of the site, which was just insane. How enormous the the factory is. Yeah, I mean, one of the weird weird things is, is sort of it was literally like a city that was purely dedicated to Airbus. So around us, as we were as we were on this little bus tour going round, everything and anything that's got anything to do with the making of or manufacturing an Airbus aeroplane, uh, regardless of model, uh, even helicopters, everything is all in its own little city, and uh, and they share the airport with what is now a, a you know a standard passenger terminal as well. And it's just absolutely massive site. The second part the tour we actually got to go to the assembly line where they put together the uh, the a380s um, and it's just actually i mean you look we're looking at the out of the viewing the, the big viewing window to, to these things and it it really doesn't give you a, an idea of the scale does it because they just look like little airplanes down there and then you realize that you are you know very very high you're about five six floors high and these things are, honestly it's just crazy they're just an amazing thing to see uh, unfortunately we weren't allowed to take photos so uh, uh, this is why we're doing a, an audio diary because we weren't allowed to to take photos or video which I, I guess is is understandable but it, it was it was really good so uh, yeah it's uh, we're as I say we're on our plane on the way back to Stansted and yeah it's it, it's been it's been really quite nice so that was that was during the afternoon and then in the evening we were both very tired uh, there's no way to, no two ways of saying that so we thought we had you know big plans about going into Toulouse and uh, and grabbing something nice you know something authentically French and, and all that uh, we didn't we didn't have the energy to do that so we ended up going to the hotel um, restaurant which turned out to be an absolutely I well Michelin star don't really cover it yeah yeah, yeah. No, it was a, a great night out and uh, had a couple of beers as well so all in all, a uh, very, very good day yesterday, and then just got up today and uh, headed home. Yeah, and we, we came to uh, came to the airport, and there's some great views actually from from once you've gone through security to the the, yeah. the, the gate. And uh, we were watching a couple of A350s going out on test flights 
uh, loads of plays. Rather ironically, as I say, I think uh, I think the demise of BA is very much underway. As whilst we were busy loading here on our on our Ryanair flight, um, it, was, it seems that BA now share the same gates as, as them. So uh, I'm sure Nev will be very mor mortified to, to discover that you know the demise has already begun. But uh, yeah, so that's it really. Uh, Matt and Owen sign off. Yeah, that's it. We're uh, we're, we're headed home. Yeah, uh, we'll chat to you guys soon. Excellent. Thanks so much for sending in that uh, feedback, Owen and Matt. Wow, that sounded like a great, great trip. I think we've got a bit of an Airbus convert there. <laughs> Sounds like I it. was just going to say a uh, flying convert, so more comfortable on airplanes. He sounded very relaxed. He did. So yeah. don't get too more excited about the Airbus. More comfortable on an Airbus, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I can tell you, he uh, he was. We weren't flying on an Airbus, though. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> that sure? particular airline does not have Airbus aircraft, if I recall correctly. Are you sure? Are you sure? I think you're correct, stuff. Yeah, I think I'm right there. Possibly. Possibly. <clears throat> I mean, they were just, you know, best of both worlds. Fly down on let's the Boeing. Get, See the anyway, let's stuff. not make facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> let's not, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Never let that stop us. <laughs> no. <laughs> All uh, right. By the way, if you're listening anyway, to this, well it, done, Matt, for yes. uh, overcoming your fear. You sounded like you're having a ball. Yeah, yes. I did. Um, by the way, if you're listening to this show, if you if you're looking for an aviation podcast uh, that's very professional, well, you've come to the wrong one. <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. we're just having fun here, yeah. just gabbing. Absolutely. You know, I'd say probably a pretty good percentage of what we're saying is true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, uh, probably more than half. At so. least fifty yeah, percent. That's what I at least usually tell I would, people. I would guess. Yeah, that's what we aim for, anyway. Yeah, I always that's say right. to my co-pilot, well, you know, I think we have at least a fifty percent chance of making it, <laughs> which is true. That's good odds. I yeah. take that. At yeah. least fifty. Yeah. Probably a lot more, but anyway. So, if you're looking for higher odds than that, or professionally done podcasts, we should direct yeah. them to. Oh, well, uh, the PTUK is one. Exactly. Plane Safety, our favorite uh, pilot pip. Um, uh, one that's been around forever, and it's uh, one of the best out there. Airplane Geeks podcast. Uh, yeah. they, Jeff, uh, did you hear what pilot pip, pip picked us up on the other day? He, he pipped us on something? He picked us up on a fault in our show the other day. Uh-oh, what did we do? Wrong. We called the final point... On an ILS, the final fix. Oh, yeah. Well, on an <gasps> ILS, it's a final approach point. Yeah. Yes, I know, but we called it a final approach fix. Yeah, whatever. Which Pilot Pip, of course, understands the entirely the difference. And yes. Well, th there's a great example yes. for you. <laughs> right there. Yeah. You know? A great example. You're great excited. That wasn't part of our fifty percent correct. No, we got that was in the bottom <laughs> half. That was the other half. The other forty nine percent. Yes. It has a fantastic grasp of trivia. It's marvelous. <laughs> but you know, we have to have somebody to keep us straight. Or at least try. <laughs> exactly. Um but uh, I can tell you something that none of these other shows have. We have it here. Ex an exclusive on the old pilot's plane tales, which is uh, definitely the best part of the show. And here's this week's installment. The old pilot's plane tales. The Andy Anderson interviews continue.
With the story of him joining the Royal Australian Air Force and moving across to the United Kingdom to begin his wartime service. I was employed as an aircraft engineering apprentice and that was considered in Australia a uh, vital uh, job to have. So joining uh, the services was forbidden. Now that meant that I had to uh, work very hard to break my apprenticeship. And in those days, apprenticeships were very valuable things to have and uh, they weren't easily broken. In the end, I managed to convince my parents that uh, that's what I wanted to do. And having made sure that the management of the company I worked for, which was McRobertson Miller Aviation, that I would be better employed in the services than uh, as an apprentice. Eventually, the managing director, one uh, Mr. Horry Miller, rang my parents and they agreed that we could cancel the uh, apprenticeship which had run for two years at that time. So having had my apprenticeship cancelled, I then immediately raced to the Air Force and, and signed up. So it was some months after that that uh, eventually I was taken out of civilian life and uh, sent up to a, an airfield called Pierce RAAF Station. And that was for the first two months almost pure square bashing uh, with very strong sergeant majors to look after us. Then after that, we then started flying training. Now, I was sent from Perth across to Adelaide to an airfield uh, called Parafield, and there I started my training on Tiger Moths. And it was an absolute delight. Uh, you know, when I got airborne, I thought, you know, this is exactly what I wanted out of life. And fortunately for me, it all came terribly naturally. And uh, seven hours, 20 minutes later, I was sent solo. And uh, even that was even nicer to be all by myself. I must tell you a rather funny story on the, uh, in, in training. We had one training captain, who, or I suppose that's what you call him, who uh, used to take his um, pupils up for his test just before he sent them solo. And to make sure that they were perfectly confident to fly solo, he would extract the control column from the front cockpit of the Tiger Moth and throw it out. And the student would then be left thinking he was entirely in control of the aircraft. In fact, what the chap did was just to cut off a broomstick and paint it and and, of course, he kept the control column to himself and threw the broomstick out. <laughs> now, um, I suppose the other amusing part during my training was that on very strong and windy, gusty days, uh, flying was cancelled. However, on one of these days when we had an extremely strong wind, the CO decided he'd show off and take a tiger moth into the air and fly it backwards. And uh, he demonstrated this to the, uh, all the pupils. And he took off and, and climbed up and then 
throttled back and uh, reduced his airspeed and gradually the aircraft flew backwards across the airfield, much to the amusement of everyone. Now, having finished flying training on Tiger Moths, uh, I must point out that the aerobatics were the things I enjoyed most of all. Barrel rolls and uh, imagining myself to be a First World War pilot flying against uh, Richthofen and people like that was wonderful. <laughs> anyway, then we were transferred to a, an airfield at uh, Geraldton, which is north of Perth on the west coast of Australia, uh, for our advanced flying training. And that was done on um, Avro Anson's rather clumsy aircraft, twin-engine, piston-driven, mostly uh, fabric and wood. <laughs> but if you could handle an Anson, you could handle most things. So, I mean, from that point of view, it was good. And uh, we did our, all our advanced training, like bombing and things like that, from this 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 um, Avro Anson. We had about 30 people on course, and um, out of that, most of us, most of the uh, pupils were given their wings at the end of that course. There were about six people chosen to become uh, commissioned officers, and fortunately I was one of them, which was very good. I'm, I must tell you an amusing incident that happened at Geraldton. We had a... a a passing out parade, of course. Our wings were presented to us. And the CO, who was a very well-known uh, aviator from the First World War and very well-known in Australian aviation history, his name was uh, Norman Brearley, and he was uh, became a um, group captain and was in charge of our AAF Geraldton. Now, at the passing out parade... All the uh, the pupils were marched past the saluting dais. My mother, who was very helpful in my career, uh, actually came up to Geraldton, which was quite a journey, and was present for the passing out parade. Now, the amusing part of this story is that there is always, uh, in any parade, a marker. And usually he's the guy that stands at the right-hand end of the column so that everyone else could march according to where he wanted them to go. So when you started off in your march, the sergeant would always call, by the right, quick march. And that meant that you would take your bearings from that marker. When it came to a, uh, a saluting dais, the sergeant major would call out, eyes right, and everyone except the marker would turn their heads right to the saluting dais. So I was the only one that wasn't allowed to turn my head to the right because I had to keep my eyes straight ahead so that the whole parade would know where they were going. My mother, who was sitting in the front row among all the VIPs, saw me and, of course, she said in a very loud voice, That's my son. He never does what he's told. <laughs> and, of course, it drew quite a laugh 
from from the from the audience. So after Geraldton, I was then uh, anxious to get overseas, of course, as we all were. But unfortunately, I was posted to a uh, navigation school as a staff pilot. My job was to fly navigators or pupil navigators uh, around so that they could take star shots or whatever it was and find their way home again. And I was simply a pilot for them. So that gave me an opportunity actually to take a navigation course. So I signed on for a navigation course with these um, trainees and uh, I had that additional qualification in my logbook. So after some months uh, flying as a staff pilot, I was eventually posted overseas. The route to get to England was over the Pacific. At that time, and we're looking now at late or mid-42, 1942, uh, the Americans were uh, had their presence in Australia. And we obviously treated them well because by the time we got to America, the Americans were all over us. They, they really loved the Australians. You couldn't possibly walk into a bar uh, without them buying you a drink. I mean, you didn't have to put your hand in your pocket for anything. We arrived at San Francisco and then we on-trained, as they say, and had a very slow trip across America to Boston. After some days cooped up in this train, everybody was getting very fed up. So the CO, who was a, uh, a flight lieutenant guy, but he wasn't an air crew, he was a ground staff. He was in charge of this, uh, this uh, on train across America. So by the time we got to Salt Lake City, uh, he was most concerned about how fed up everybody was, cooped up. So since it was a long layover in, uh, in Salt Lake City to allow other traffic to go through on the same railway line, he decided that he would let the crew out of the train and have a march through Salt Lake City. Seemed a nice idea. So he managed to recruit a, a band. It was the local fire brigade band. And they turned up at the railway station. Then he got all the air crew out. The band in the front, the CO, who was the, this flight lieutenant guy. Uh, then the officers and... Then the other ranks, the sergeants, were all lined up, ready to go. And so the band struck up, and off we went, marching into Salt Lake City. I think we'd covered about two blocks, and all that was left of the marchers was the CO up front. All the rest had peeled off, and they'd jumped into the bars and been welcomed by the Americans, and it took two days to wind, to round them all up and get them back on the train again. So <laughs> there was a little extra delay there. Anyway, we, we got to uh, a camp near Boston, Camp Miles Standish it was called, and another good fortune struck me in that some of our people on this draft caught scarlet fever. Now, that can be transmitted easily. 
So the whole draft of crew were uh, isolated in Camp Standish. Now, after a couple of days, the Americans took pity on us, so they gave us all a test. That is, some people had it, some people didn't have it. So they sectioned the people who didn't have it and said, the best thing for you to do is to have a bit of a holiday and, uh, and until these other people recover. Now, that was magnificent because we were then allowed to escape from Camp Miles Standish and we were entertained by people in, uh, in Boston. And uh, some people called Mr. and Mrs. Pettit asked me if would I like to stay in their magnificent mansion and that was really quite a pleasure. They had two beautiful daughters and you can imagine it uh, at the age of 20. I, I was uh, uh, enthralled with the whole thing. I think the one mistake I made was uh, when they took me to their very upmarket tennis court and they supplied me with a racket and the right shoes and, and we played tennis for a bit. And then all the rest knocked off and left me on the court by myself. And of course, being young and uh, vigorous, I wanted a little more tennis. And there I made my big mistake. From the tennis court, I called up to them as they were all sitting in rows on the um, on, on the seats looking over the tennis court. I called up and said, would anyone like a... I, I don't say it. Would anyone like a knock-up? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was a dreadful thing to say. And, of course, I didn't realise. And suddenly the whole place went deadly hushed. <laughs> and I was very embarrassed. I, I, I walked off the court. <laughs> anyway, the rest of the time was spent magnificently in Boston. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had my 21st birthday as a guest to Harvard and they had an, an internal uh, party for that night. So somebody raked around and found me a, an ordinary civilian dress and uh, I turned up, took my uniform off, uniform off and put on civilian clothes and joined in the celebrations and it was absolutely wonderful. And I wasn't caught out until late in the evening when I walked into the pool room and uh, threw some billiards onto the table and started playing billiards with three balls. And, of course, somebody else walked in and said, where did you learn to play billiards? We only play pool here. And at that time, the person that had invited me had actually been back to his room dressed himself in my uniform and <laughs> and appeared in front of everyone. <laughs> so therefore, that was a sort of grand end to a perfect 21st birthday. Right, we then took a train down to New York where we were put on very fast, um, uh, what was then a very fast ship called the Mauritania, and that sailed solo across the Atlantic idea being that it could outpace any U-boat, so it wasn't included in a convoy. Um, as you know, big convoys only um, progressed at the speed of the slowest ship, 
and the slowest ship was round about eight knots. So the Mauritania steamed, steamed along. And we had lots of Americans and, uh, and our small draft of Australians going over to the United Kingdom. We arrived in Scotland and we on-trained down to Brighton and that was our what they call our PDRC, our Personal Reception and Departure Base. So uh, we were put in hotels very comfortable hotels for the officers and, uh, well, equally comfortable for the uh, sergeants as well. Uh, We then waited there for a posting. We're going to leave it there for now. And in the next plane tale, we'll hear how Andy gets on on his wartime squadron. Wow. He's so sharp. He remembers all these... I details and uh, is such. I can tell uh, why Captain Nick is such a great storyteller. He gets it honestly from his <laughs> father. <laughs> if only. Wow. If only. But, but there's one thing that came through, and that was his love of the states. I mean, I think the uh, the time he had uh, getting across the states and the uh, friends he made and the enjoyment he had was remarkable. He he just couldn't get over. Uh, how generous uh, the people were to those that were, who were heading off to the war. So uh, I think that was really nice. I, he's yeah, such nice a, to hear too. He, he's a Our modest person, I, I can tell. <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. He is. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't, uh, you know, I obviously. I'm assuming, right? Like yeah. Just... Yeah. Well, that's me. I, I hope I get a chance to meet him someday. Uh, well, yes, you never know. I think you might have to go to Australia. He, yeah. he kind of uh, stopped all the long-distance traveling. Now, the last time I flew him across the UK, he didn't really enjoy, uh, even though he was in a upper class the whole way, he didn't really enjoy all that, that long-haul flying. And uh, to the point where he decided he would go back to uh, Australia uh, on a cruise liner. So he cruised home. Mm-hmm. So, Wow, that's a long trip, too. Huh? Yeah, but I, but I think you enjoyed it. No, I'm, <laughs> it took, I'm sure. That would be a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, it took, took it three months. And I, yeah, uh, oh, geez. Geez, I made it into a big holiday. It was nice for him. Nice. What was it he yelled at, on the tennis court? <laughs> Anyone want to knock up? <laughs> no, I'm assuming being knocked up in... Uh, you mean something different? Meant something <laughs> yeah. different? These Australians. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Very forward. Yeah, exactly right. <clears throat> well, it's funny. I fell, fell, fell at almost exactly the same thing. Um, when <laughs> there was a, a, an Australian lady uh, trying to climb over something, so I asked, she wanted a bunk up, which is quite normal in the UK. It's when you give someone a, a boost to get, to get them over. But in Australia, it means something completely different. <laughs> uh-huh. And like uh, the great uh, condom manufacturer in the uh, that we get in the UK, Durex. Uh, if you uh, if you ask for some Durex in Australia, you'll get a roll of sticky tape. <laughs> so <laughs> there's an enormous room <laughs> for confusion. Yes. Don't ask for the name brand. That's the moral to that story. Exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah. Generics. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, I look forward to hearing uh, the the following parts of uh, 
the interview with Andy Anderson. Uh, wow. Yes. Jo- join us next week for the next exciting installment. Yes. <laughs> Can't wait. Yes. All uh, right. Uh, Swedish Andreas sent us some audio feedback. Hi there, Captain Jeff and crew. This is Swedish Andreas with some feedback. And it's regarding the phenomenon where people take their bags with them in an emergency. And all of us are a bit dumbfounded by this behavior. But this often makes me think about a story a seasoned fellow glider pilot told us newbies during training one time. He had at one time had to parachute out of his glider due to an emergency. And uh, even though it all happened very fast, it's a rather long story when telling it, as often is the case with these kind of stories. So I will leave the whole story to him to tell if he's listening or if he's not, we can take that some other time. However, the one part of this event that relates to the behavior of people taking their carry-ons with them in an emergency is this. At some height over the Swedish countryside, my fellow glider pilot found himself with a fully deflected stuck left rudder. As the airplane departed on a digging turn to the left, he quickly realized that he had to get out. So he proceeds to eject the canopy and takes off his seat belts. Seat belts off, he now proceeds to unbuckle his parachute harness. Parachute harness now completely unbuckled, he realizes his mistakes puts the thing on again and jumps and yes this is a seriously abridged version of what happened so here is this pilot with a lot of experience in an emergency situation needing to parachute out of a stricken aeroplane taking off his parachute harness he told us that although he knew this was an emergency his body reacted as per business as usual when you land you take off your seatbelt then you take off your parachute harness and then you get out thing about this, he had not imagined himself in this situation and thus his body reacted for him. Much the same way as if you try to recite the pin code of your phone, you have to think about it but when just punching it in, your hand remembers it for you. I believe that me and uh, my fellow student pilot got a great gift that day. He told this story. From that day I have made a point of thinking about what I'm doing instead of just doing it. And it has made my life much more easier and so also uh, in regards to me having this uh, cerebral palsy. Thus I believe that this is sometimes what happens when people find themselves in an emergency. They just do what they usually do. As always, thank you for a great show. Thank you, Swedish Andreas, for <clears throat> that great audio feedback. Um, uh, several good points made there by uh, the glider pilot. Hopefully, we'll hear more about that story. And uh, yeah, I guess there is a lot to do with what is the term for that stuff? Um, like automatic or, uh, yeah. muscle memory, or yeah. you know, just going through the motions of what you would normally do. Mm-hmm. Right. But are we going to allow that to be the excuse for passengers? grabbing their luggage in an emergency. So maybe it's because I'm not paying enough attention to safety briefings, but this, so when I went out for the uh, service for my friend last week, I did take a flight out to Greenville, North Carolina on a uh, regional carrier for American. And uh, their safety briefing is one of a few where they actually say, 
in the event of emergency, leave all your belongings. And they emphasize, like it, it was very clearly, you know, like an emphasis point and separated from everything else. You know, I think either if it's, it's set on other airlines or if it's part of normal safety briefings, it's kind of just part of the monotonous, you know, and, and people aren't paying attention. But this was very clearly emphasized, and I thought that was kind of nice. Um, I don't know that anyone's paying attention other than myself, but uh, it, it, I don't know. Maybe it needs to be more clearly emphasized. I, I listen with interest, having just traveled on the back for a few flights to mm -hmm. ours. And um, ours is a bit like that, uh, Steph, in that it does say uh, leave all your belongings, mm -hmm. but it doesn't make a particular point of it. Right. Um, but uh, you're talking about listening to safety briefings. What amused me was um, I was sitting beside a young lady who looked young enough not to have been flying too long. She, I might be wrong. She might be a very regular traveler, but even so, um, she had uh, a scarf over her head, eye uh, things on uh, from the moment she more or less boarded the aircraft and uh, didn't uh, listen to or watch anything <laughs> to do with the safety <laughs> So, <laughs> Well, and, and I was actually very impressed with this regional carrier because I was seated in the exit row. And, you know, usually if you're seated in the exit row, if you're, you know, ticket and have that when you get on the plane, they'll stop you there and say, you're in an exit row, very willing to assist, blah, 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 blah. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So I went and got on the plane and then the... The flight attendant, uh, there's only one flight attendant for this entire CRJ-200 because it's a small aircraft, but <laughs> she came over and talked. There was It was only me in on my side. There was two and two seating. So it was me on my side of the exit row and another lady on the other side, and that was it. And, I mean, she definitely came over and got our attention and made sure that we listened to everything that she had to say and that we actually pulled out the safety cards and looked at them. And she was very insistent that this was serious safety stuff that we had to take seriously right. ourselves which was very nice and refreshing because a lot of times it's like hey you're in an exit row cool cool oh and i mean I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit but yeah owen in our chat room um you know part of the the duo that made the trip to toulouse uh, is a professional flight attendant and he said oh it's so annoying when people think they don't need to listen or watch the demo we don't do the briefing for our benefit that's exactly right mm -hmm. that's exactly right and it is interesting because uh there was a recent uh uh, note put out by our civil aviation authority reminding some airlines that it's supposed to whilst it is good for it to be amusing as well as informative. The primary duty of the safety demo is to impart information. Some airlines were taking it to extremes in trying to um, make it something that's interesting to watch because either the people in it were naked wearing body paint or uh, they were all uh, sports stars or whatever. Um, and there is a fine line there between grabbing people's attention so they're willing to watch it and well, making it realistic and imparting the information. Have you ever had the experience of watching a commercial for something where you can remember the commercial, but you have no idea what the commercial is for? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good point. That's yeah. Yeah. Major it's, it's fail. It's kind of like that. Yeah. 
I, I can't tell you how many that times. Commercial that, that, <laughs> yeah. Oh, have you seen that you know, commercial? Bubble? I don't remember. Is, but I don't know what they're trying yeah. to sell me. <laughs> As opposed to. So if your safety yeah. briefing crosses that line yeah. where they remember the sports stars and the, you know, body paint, but they can't remember any of the actual safety information, then that's not a good thing. But um, no. Oh, and we we all agree with you 100 percent, obviously. And it was funny as I was sitting there, you know, on this particular flight and, uh, you know, really impressed with the insistence of the flight attendant that we take out the safety card and look at the door and know how to, you know, operate the overwing exit. Um, so I pulled out, I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. I pulled out the safety card and I looked at it. And I was like, yeah, okay. That looks, you know, straightforward enough. You know, you pull down on the plastic, you pull the red handle, you chuck the door out the window, you know, but the lady next to me didn't do any of that stuff until I actually did it. You were modeling <laughs> very well. I tried. I tried. So absolutely. That's Another thing I add to her list, model. Model? Yeah. Physiatrist, I'm not getting paid enough. Model. No, you're not. Yeah, you're still young, no. Jeff. She'll, she'll, she'll want to give herself a pay rise. Uh, well, just go ahead and just bump up that percentage of what you get right now. I'll just double my, my pay. Double it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> double it Perfect. again. Good Lord. I mean, I've only doubled it like five or six times now. So. Yeah, that well, that's your prerogative. <laughs> You're certainly some negotiator. Well, more audio feedback. You guys ready? Ready. Hello, Captains Nick, Jeff, and Steph. This is Radio Roger. Radio because I work on the radio, not because my name is the affirmation code in two-way transmissions, as in Roger Roger. Well, before I get to my main question, I want to ask about meetups. I've gotten together with Captain Nick in Manhattan and enjoyed it thoroughly what a charming guy. And we were supposed to get together last week in Hoboken, but bad weather got in the way of that. I look forward to rescheduling. But what about you, Captain Jeff? Are you ever available for a New York meetup? If not, is that because you don't spend nights in New York? Or B, you can't stand flying through our crowded airspace and don't feel much like socializing after you do? Or C, you just don't like us New Yorkers? Now, to my main question. Recently, my son was sitting next to a woman with an infant son on a flight to Florida, and she started to kind of freak out. My son volunteered to hold the baby while the flight crew got her out of her seat and tried to calm her down. Well, she seemed to go through this quasi-nervous breakdown for the whole flight, or most of it anyway, and my son was left holding the baby for several hours. Unfortunately, he slept the whole time. The baby, not my son. After the flight, my son was pleasantly surprised to be given a good passenger award, which included a $150 gift certificate. That was a very nice thing for the airline to do. My question is this, does Acme or Acme Red have similar goodies they can give to an especially helpful passenger? As the captain, Nick or Jeff, would you make the decision on that? And is this the kind of problem in a flight that you would be alerted to by the crew? All right, now I'll shut up and you can answer the question and say, Roger, Roger. Though, Captain Jeff, I know you're too refined to engage in humor that lowbrow. Roger, Roger. <laughs> oh, he knew I for sure that I would do that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was red rag to a bull, that was. <laughs> Roger. Huh? Uh, what, you know, answering the, the last question that you had first, um, we, I, as I'm not aware of any kind of a program like that at all at Acme, uh, that, that, uh, we give like gift certificates or, you know, special awards for, I think it's a great idea. Now I have seen 
as I'm saying goodbye to people as they're leaving the airplane, like sometimes I'll see a flight attendant kind of hand a, a bag uh, to somebody as they're leaving. And uh, you can tell that there was some kind of a good thing that was going on there. And that uh, may have been a kind of a personal thank you and good passenger award. Uh, perhaps a bottle of champagne or wine or whatever. Uh, not that we have <laughs> much to give them on the airplane that I fly, but um, I have seen it. It's on. a bottle of champagne, <laughs> yeah, about three inches tall. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. Uh, on the bigger airplanes we used to fly, uh, the L-1011 and that kind of thing, um, I'd occasionally see that. <clears throat> but there wasn't a um, there wasn't a program uh, detailed. And, and uh, yeah, and as a captain, I've never been asked to you know, decide something like that. So uh, that's my perspective. How about you, Nick? I'm sure you're probably given a lot more latitude and have more of that kind of thing. Yeah, we're given a fair amount, actually. And as long as it, you know, passes the embarrassment test, which uh, is uh, suggested that if we stand in front of uh, our chief pilot or equivalent uh, and we tell them what we've done, we're not going to blush. Uh, so, yeah, if you can do that and say, yeah, I did this because it was the right thing to do at the time, then generally speaking, that'll well, you know, go ahead. It won't be a problem. But uh, our cabin crew, the senior cabin crew, has got a lot of leeway in uh, in helping out passengers that have aided us. There's no formal thing. Stand of the individuals, but the individuals are very good usually at looking after it. So the smallest thing will probably be a nice bottle of champagne as they leave the aircraft. And for something bigger, it'll be a gift from the duty-free cart uh, or a lot of air miles or something like that. And nice. if it's uh, if it's something that, say, met quality, uh, medically qualified volunteer has come forward, then that'll often be followed up by uh, something from the company communications people, a letter of thanks, and uh, possibly even something else, you know. Uh, I've even heard of yeah, passengers having nice. their tickets refunded, uh, the cost of their tickets refunded because of something they've done on the aircraft. So, yeah. It, it depends, obviously, on, on what they've done. You know, we don't even have, like, lollipops or stickers for good patients anymore. Oh. No, no. It's so sad. That is sad. And yeah. You know how often I get asked? <laughs> Every time? <laughs> A lot. Well, the, the, the dentists are very pleased that you don't give out lollipops, but like, stickers would be good. No, they want you to give out lollipops. Are, none of my patients are children. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> well, it, it number age age wise so yeah they act like oh, children okay. but they're not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love my patients um but yeah roger uh i love new york and uh, even more i love new yorkers uh you got you people are amazing people and uh i would love to uh meet you and others in the new york city area unfortunately um i haven't had a long new york city layover in quite some time i mean i've had a few recently but they were all like right across the street from LaGuardia uh, or Kennedy and uh, but uh, when we do have long layovers we stay at the uh, the Roosevelt um, on uh, I think it's 45th and uh, whatever the cross street is see it's been so long I've forgotten exactly it's near uh, Grand's uh, what is it called Grand Central Station is that right yeah um, 45th yeah is that right maybe mm -hmm. not 40th I don't know. See, I don't even know what I'm talking sure. about. Anyway, um, yeah, so if I ever uh, do get a long layover, I'll definitely uh, let everybody know and, and we'll set something up. 
because uh, I, I would love to meet Roger Stern. 1010 wins. All news, all the time. I'm sorry, I didn't even do it justice. <laughs> I thought that was great. Oh, thanks. But uh, if, if Roger's uh, looking for another meetup, then uh, on the 10th, which is a what? A Friday? It's a Monday. Monday, I think. Oh, okay. Monday the 10th of this month. So basically, oh, yes, <laughs> week's time. Week today. Um, I'll be in on the, uh, the Acme Red flight number 45, which uh, should get in at 10 past 5 uh, local time. Actually, gets in a little bit earlier than that, but the time we get off the airplane to bus five. So I'm going to be in a bar sometime around seven o'clock. So uh, we're staying at the Wyndham uh, New Yorker again. So last bar we met at uh, was uh, me putting a pin in a map. So, uh, uh, Roger, if you've got any suggestions of a bar that's not too far from the Wyndham New Yorker, give me a shout and we'll meet there. Uh, but uh, um, otherwise, I'll just nominate a bar and I'll be certain to put it out on Twitter and uh, uh, everything else that we have to uh, to arrange a meetup. But that's uh, on the 10th. Excellent. Be there or be square. Um, yeah. Someone sent this uh, little piece of information in to us, uh, but they don't. They want to remain anonymous. Uh, you know, I think we were on the last show or perhaps a show before actually a many many shows in the past we've been you know going along and all of a sudden you hear a uh, one of those electronic dings coming from one of our devices uh he says <laughs> that um uh, that on-air ding that no one believes came from their device is sometimes called electronic flatulence <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> i like it but i've never been guilty classify. of that by the way oh no it wasn't me no, me neither. No, no, no. <laughs> None so, of us. Certainly not in the lift, anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just spurious, spurious internet noises that come in through our brand uh, bandwidth, mm-hmm. I think. Um, let's see. You know, um, Pip, I mean, sorry, um, uh, Nick, <laughs> really apologize <laughs> to both of you. Um, <laughs> not really. Not He's really. not sorry. Um what can I do for you, sir? You had mentioned um, in in the past, I don't know, that you that your company uh, was going through this whole um, effort to change pilot not flying to pilot monitoring, and, um, and we we have done the same thing over the past years, um, and trying to get a you know good handle on all of that. Um, in Pilot Pip's last podcast, the uh, Plane Safety Podcast, episode thirty nine. He also talked about the fact that safe jets, uh, they're kind of going through that whole change of nomenclature and uh, nomenclature and uh, terms used and roles of uh, pilot flying and pilot monitoring, et cetera. And I thought he used an, a great example um, on his show. And I asked, with his permission, if I could uh, replay this little piece of his latest podcast. So without further ado, take it away, Pip quite an interesting cultural change actually and you know and not everyone appreciates it i think half the battle is just getting the message across because a lot of people will just say well what's in a name pilot non-flying pilot monitoring potato flying what's the difference call it what you will well i really do think i'm a firm believer that there is more of a cultural shift required and i could i think i can sum all this up actually in a, a very nice 
safety notice courtesy of British Airways. And they said this. This is the British Airways flight manual clarification of the procedure known in the US as a monitored approach. British Airways Flight Operations Department. There appears to be some confusion over the new pilot role titles. The following memo will hopefully clear up any misunderstandings. The titles P1, P2 and co-pilot will now cease to have any meaning within the BA operations manual. They are to be replaced by handling pilot, non-handling pilot, handling landing pilot, non-handling landing pilot, handling non-handling pilot and non-handling non-landing pilot. The landing pilot is initially the handling pilot and will handle the takeoff and landing except in role reversal when he or she is the non-handling pilot for taxi until the handling non-landing pilot hands the handling to the landing pilot at 80 knots. All clear so far? The non-landing, brackets non-handling since the landing pilot is handling, close brackets, pilot reads the checklist to the handling pilot until the before descent checklist completion. When the handling landing pilot hands the handling to the non-handling non-landing pilot who then becomes the handling non-landing pilot. The landing pilot is the non-handling pilot until the decision altitude call when the handling non-landing pilot hands the handling to the non-landing handling pilot unless the latter calls go around in which case the handling non-landing pilot continues handling and the non-handling landing pilot continues non-handling until the next call of land or go around as appropriate. In view of recent confusion over these rules, it was deemed necessary to restate them clearly. This should eliminate any confusion. I think it does just that. I think that's crystal clear. And I did too. That's why I wanted to uh, play that on on our show, because I think that pretty much clears the whole thing up. Yeah. Although handling, non-handling, I like when the terms are separated <laughs> a little bit more distinctly, because I don't know. Crystal clear, Pip. Crystal clear. <laughs> I'll just say that. Uh, I got a good laugh at that. By the way, great podcast. Uh, Plane Safety <laughs> Podcast. I'll uh, put a link to that in the show notes. Check it out if you already haven't done so. Yeah, um, yeah I must admit, when I uh, heard Pip's uh, show, because I listened to it while I was out in Australia, I thought he'd taken a, uh, a flight safety uh, corporate pill there where he started mm-hmm. saying how good it was that we'd all renamed our roles to uh, uh, pilot monitoring because I was going uh, for those who've been doing it for a while I'm going I'm doing exactly the same job you just changed the title <laughs> exactly. uh, come on guys really and this is the well, third change it's had in the time I've been with my company so I'm going up you know somebody got a raise or a promotion I was, yeah absolutely <laughs> Someone in that uh, training department that we talked about at the beginning of the show, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which one of those SHIT? Uh... <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. One of those. Yeah. I was listening to that in the car on the way home, Pip, by the way. And like after a long day at work and my brain was about to explode. But thank you. <laughs> yes. it, was <laughs> it was very good indeed. I do actually love Pip's show. He's, he's, uh, I do too. He's, it's fantastic. It's very good. That's enough. We don't want to build his, right. you know, make yeah. his head explode. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, speaking of good podcast, this one, a rather new one. Uh, well, I'll let him explain. Hello, Captain Jeff and the whole ATP crew. Yep, I've been missing your program lately. This is the pre-buy guy. Well, I'm not the pre-buy guy anymore. I'll have to explain later. But I've enjoyed your last episode, especially uh, Captain 
uh, Nick, about uh, what you got to go through on your qualifications for your uh, simulator time and all. Boy, that was very educational. And I'm hoping to meet up again with you, Captain Jeff. Uh, last time we met up, uh, it was kind of a bad time for you. You were tired and you had your check ride coming up and you had a lot on your mind. So I'm hoping to meet up with you again sometime when we could really sit down and talk for a while. And, and um, also, Dr. Steph. Hey, uh, Dr. Steph, you're a, a girl in my heart. You can, you're a jumper a pilot and a doctor well if you want to give up that doctor and stuff and have a little more fun uh, you know the army pays you to jump out of airplanes you could maybe join the a2nd airborne maybe special forces <laughs> that should be a lot of fun different lifestyle that's for sure but anyway uh the reason i'm calling is because i have neglected to uh be uh, in the chat room lately i've been kind of a busy guy and like i said i'm not the pre-buy guy anymore we're the pre-buy guys yep there's a mini me out there <laughs> not exactly he's a lot bigger than i am <laughs> um, i have an ex-marine who's an amp and working on his pilot ratings and uh, so now um, he he goes ahead and uh, and works on um Super Hornets fighter aircraft, and he can go up and run it up with full afterburners, and he can salute to the captain, and then it's the captain's airplane. So he's one of the guys too. So we're the pre-buy guys, and uh, Captain Nick, uh, when you're ready to buy your Super Hornet in a couple of years from now, and the military is selling them off, we're the guys to see. We can make sure you got a, a good airplane, and the afterburner works right. So anyway, uh, the reason I'm calling is just to say hello, and uh, I'm looking, still looking for Miami Rick. I keep watching the uh, NASA channel. Hopefully, he'll show up on the space shuttle someplace, um, the space station. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I haven't found him yet, but uh, I just wanted to call up and say hello to all you listeners out there, and uh, still enjoying your show. Um, so have a good day. Oh, and uh, if you have time, I'd like to plug my podcast. Uh, we don't have time. Uh, let's see. Let's move on to the uh, next piece of feedback. Oh, wait. Oh, uh, wait. We, should I? Okay. Here we go. Because you You're might so take it out if you don't want me to. <laughs> um, we're, uh, I think you probably know where we're at, most of your crew, but maybe not your listeners. <laughs> we have a weekly podcast called Airplane Intel Podcast. Or one word, airplane intel podcast is separate. And then uh, every week we cover a different airplane, uh, single engine land one week, multi engine piston, second week, turboprop the third week, and corporate jets the, the, uh, the fourth week. And then we go back and go back to small airplanes again. So it's something for everybody in there. And we have a website. Airplane pre-buy, all one word. That pre-buy is P-R-E-B-U-Y. And airplaneprebuy.com, uh, we have lots of interesting pages and videos there. So um, check us out. And uh, hope to see you again. Uh, let me know, Captain Jeff, when you're in the area, Raleigh-Durham. I know you don't get there very much to North Carolina. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you very much, Don, the pre-buy guy, one of the pre-buy guys. Uh, and uh, do check out his podcast. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. 
I wonder if uh, he's got any, um, you know, cheap uh, Super Hornets, because I don't know if I could buy one unless it's, I don't know, you know $2,000, you're right, and I can get one for $2,000. I mean, if it has some dents or something in it, you know, maybe it's... Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it'd be a, a nice paperweight for you. <laughs> paperweight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hold out a lot of paper. <laughs> a lot it would. Of paper. Like I said, it'd be... It'd, it worked anyway, well with that. Who'd want a plastic paperweight? That's not good. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> finally, um, yeah, we're going to go ahead and just make this the last one. Um, we were discussing, uh, this is from uh, Mike Smith in Maynard, Massachusetts, somewhere in this state that I'm in right now. On APG 265, our last show, you were discussing what happens to a prop when it detaches. It goes backwards. It happened in 1983 to Revolution Airways Flight 8. Yeah, we were talking about the fact that we thought it might actually go ahead of the airplane, and uh, apparently that's not what happens to it. Uh, he sent some links to um, a, an incident that, uh, luckily it was not an accident, um, that happened to uh, Lockheed Electra uh, back in 1983, uh, Reeve Aleutian Airways flight number eight. And, um, I, yeah, there was a, there was an air disasters show. Yeah. About Mayday one, or air disasters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I watched, he, he sent us a, a follow up and he said, actually, this is the better one. And I think it was Mayday, whatever. And I watched it and I like, <laughs> I started watching it. I, I couldn't stop watching it. It was like you know, 45 <laughs> minutes long You know, I needed to be doing other things, but it yeah. was really, really a good episode. I'd not heard of this, um, incident before where they lost the, uh, number, uh, four prop, I think. Or three. One, one of the ones on I've, the right. I forget which one, but... Yeah. 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 Anyway, very, very interesting um, story incident. And uh, we'll, I'll make sure that I put that link in the show notes for you all to watch well, if you haven't already seen I it. I must admit, I, ba I based my uh, thoughts on one of those toys you have when you're a kid. Yeah. And you get a propeller and a stick and you pull the string and it goes... Mm -hmm. There you go. That's scientific. <laughs> But like exactly right. Well, it's it's you know if you if you apply Reynolds number, then uh, you can uh, make it equate to a real airplane. Uh, we'll just it, file that in the forty nine percent and move exactly on. Exactly right. <laughs> Fake news. What, what I forgot to account for was the fact that uh, the thing you're holding, which is the airplane, it's is moving. going forward at about three hundred exactly. miles an hour. Yeah. Well, Damn. I've got to factor that in to yeah. your equation. <laughs> and this is why I was not great at physics. You know, it's like too many things going on that you have to account for. That's why. Yeah, too many moving parts. You know what? I'll, I'll squeeze one more in. Um, TWSS. That's what she said. Um, I, uh, Albert, uh, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, Albert. I can't even answer that question. <laughs> Alcosiba. Uh, from Sydney, uh, said, I came across this article recently. Uh, he put the link to it at the end of this message. Was left wondering if, to any of your combined pools of knowledge, the technique of Shiso Kanko, calling and pointing, was used anywhere in the world in the airline industry to reduce pilot errors. In a recent episode, a discussion was had about pilots operating the wrong controls at the wrong time when they were meant to be doing something else. I wonder if this technique of pointing and calling would help, or if pilots already did a modified version of this to avoid simple errors. Yeah, yeah. We, we do it all the time. It was his fault. <laughs> He's, yes. It was him over there. <laughs> He's the Don't one look at me. 
It's him. <laughs> Actually, Sorry, we Jeff. do. Um, interrupt. <laughs> we, we started doing that uh, at, at Acme um, a few years back uh, when we set a new altitude in the altitude alert window. We are supposed to point to it, um, you know, say it and point to it, and then also point to the uh, uh, other display that says, you know, whether or not the altitude is armed. Um, and uh, they call it a double point. And uh, yeah, so I didn't I didn't know it was called. What do you call it? Uh, she's a cuckoo. She's a cuckoo. I've never heard that term. Wow. And I guess it's it's talking about to prevent errors in the first place. So yeah. he, he's talking about when you would actually you're going to change a setting, whatever it is. And you you say what you do. You point at it. You look at it, and then you actually execute before you. It's not just all one fluid movement. There's an actual stop and pause, as opposed to. You've done it, but you did it incorrectly, and the other person goes, "Hey," and points. And yeah, that's you know. not what he means. <laughs> that's a different Japanese that's a different term. Pointing and calling. <laughs> I'm sure. It's more like I, Captain Nick's. I'm example. not sure if the if the, the amount of things we have to move and and change would actually allow this to happen. For example, just putting the gear down, you we've got to uh, put the gear lever down. But then associated with that is arming the uh, the uh, speed brakes and turning the undercarriage lights on, the landing lights that are on the undercarriage gear. So there's actually three. You're going to point to all of them. So you're going to point to the gear. I'm going to put that down. Well, maybe there's the maybe there's certain. <laughs> and then you put the gear down. And then you go. I'm arming the speed brakes. Clonk. I'm turning the lights on. Clonk clonk. I mean, that's just yeah. I mean, it would. Well, maybe uh, you leave the lights out because you're not quite as worried about that as you are about the gear being down, perhaps. And and until the runway lights go out, and then you can't well, see anything because you've forgotten. Hopefully, to put the maybe you on. realize it at that point. Why is it so dark out there? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, why am I? Yeah, no, no, no. But I just mean maybe I'm there's the certain grass. things that you prioritize a little bit higher that you want yeah. to have those call-outs for. Yeah, I, that's the only thing that I know of <laughs> that I'm aware of that we're supposed to do as far as pointing and and uh, whatever it's the altitude because we've changes. had a whole bunch of uh, altitude busts uh, until we you know started doing that and apparently that's that's helped quite a bit. Um, but uh, sure. yeah, I can see how in Nick's example, how it could get a little bit out of control if you'd pointed to everything, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, All these well, hands flashing around the cockpit, you could do some damage. <laughs> yeah, you could, yeah. you could like bend or uh, bruise a finger or something. Oh, you yeah, could lose yeah. a finger. Be careful. You could stick the captain in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Well, thank you, Albert. I think for for that. At least I know what we're what it's called now. That's that's kind of cool. She's a cuckoo. Um, yeah. Okay. Pretty cool. Well, I uh, think we got everything except for a Joe sent in a thing about the uh, uh, a video of this guy flying a Boeing, which I'm what? not going to give. I'm not going to give uh, Captain Nick the satisfaction. <laughs> we'll do that on the next show. No, no, no. It's, it's a perfect opportunity to slate the Boeing. <laughs> no. I love it. It's almost three hours, so it's time for us to stop. So we're going to put that in the next folder, uh, 267 folder. Uh, thanks, Joe, for all the great feedback you uh, send us. Hope you don't mind we'd uh, delay that one. Um, yeah, if you want to uh, send in your great feedback, again, feedback at Airline Pilot Guy is the way to go. Uh, we love it when you uh, record your own voice asking questions and commenting and all that 
and you can do that with uh, you know your smartphone, whatever your voice recording to, uh, application is on that, or your computer or whatever. Just attach it to uh, the uh, email feedback and send it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, we have a great site um, that you can check out, airlinepilotguy.com. And there you'll find information about the show and the coffee fund and all kinds of good stuff. Um, check it out. It's uh, really nice. And uh, we also have some apps uh, for the iOS and Android platforms. Again, information about that can be found in the show notes and on the website. And uh, social media, who wants to do that? I think that's me. Yeah. Well, you don't have to. You don't want to. <laughs> and Nick, so graciously, just volunteered me again. No, I'm okay. just kidding. Yep. He did it last time. Oh, did he? Yeah. Not very well. No, not as well as you do it. You're not, you've not been paying attention when I <laughs> ramble all these things off. Anyway. And now I usually drink beer when you start this. <laughs> <laughs> and he was drinking beer had... and saying our social media stuff at the same time. And it was horrible mess. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll get a pre-recorded thing for in future, okay. future reference. You can just, oh, there you go. <laughs> Let Captain Nick off the hook. Anyway, if you would like to find us on social media, if you're on the Twitters, go to twitter.com. You can find us at APG Crew. We all have access to that, and we can see anything you would like to share with us, message to us, respond to your feedback that way. Um, individually, we all have our individual Twitter accounts pinned to the top of the page there if you would like to talk to one of us in person, um, or individually, I suppose. You can also find us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash guy. Um, I think we've established it's mostly Nick taking care of that these days, but he does a wonderful job and we thank him very much for it. And then you can also head over to a uh, separate app, not our app. It's called Slack, um, S-L-A-C-K. And if you would like to join that, that's kind of like a perpetual chat room. In addition, there's a lot of information about um, planned meetups throughout the year and other events that um, community members may or may not be attending. Uh, you can become a part of that by going back over to Twitter, get in touch with our community member, Hillel. He's at HI11E1. He'll need your email address and he will send you an invite to be a part of the Slack community, APG community. And there you have it for social media. Yes, back to yeah. you, Captain Jeff. Thank you. I'm Whenever choking. You're ready. I'm getting choked I up. <laughs> I'm, uh, this, this allergy stuff is really getting to me. Can you hear it in times. my voice too? I, like, I yeah. don't feel allergy-ish but i i can hear it like it's the pollen has coated my yeah. vocal cords and I actually i don't very, hear it in your voice at all like my voice is very scratchy drink beer yeah okay. that's, that's that my, definitely that's helps my remedy doctor ah <laughs> oh, jade I everyone knew. knows <laughs> all right um let's see i was gonna say something else but i don't remember <laughs> what it was now but um yeah um, oh, i know what i was gonna say um Earlier in the show, we talked about, you know, other great aviation podcasts. And, you know, there are so many out there that are so good that I, I, I'm afraid that I'm going to leave out somebody's fantastic show. So I would suggest that you go to iTunes and just do a search for the aviation podcast category. And you can pick any of them. They're great. Um, so uh, just want to make sure I said that. I don't want to uh, slight anybody. And we love all of them, too, except yep, for Pip. We do. No, I'm just yeah, except for Pip. We love you, too, Pip. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with that, I think it's now time to say goodbye. So wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Take care, y'all. Bye, everybody.
Good day. WAPG Airline Pilot Jack